Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is Thursday, October 17th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, In These Times writer Miles Camp Lassen returns, union man Jeff Johnson is back, and I wonder what we're going to talk about with this fella, Cook County Commissioner and CTU member Brandon Johnson. Now your host, not a CTU member, but CTU supporter, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Clarification Thursday. And here's why. As we head into day one of the teacher strike, apparently, D, there's a misunderstanding. Some people are saying that I am biased in favor of the striking Chicago teachers. They say I'm biased because I am wearing a red hat. And red is the color of the Chicago teachers. Well, let me just say this to that. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Yes, indeed, I am wearing a red hat. But it just happened to be the first hat I picked up, D. All right, I was running out the door. You know, we wear baseball caps on the Ben Jarofsky show. So just happened to pick this one. All right? Just accident. Okay? Yeah. So no bias. Then they also say, well, yeah. How come you're wearing a red T-shirt? Oh, yeah. I am wearing a red T-shirt. Oh. That's just a coincidence, man. It's, under, know, it's <laughs> underneath the black shirt that he's wearing now. Yeah, hold on. Oh, Ben, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, is this Mardi Gras? What are you doing? It is a, but it's a Bulls T-shirt, okay? Just happened to, you know, take it out of the drawer. It doesn't mean anything, okay? Just, oh, you want it now? Oh, we, there you go. Yeah, it's just a Bulls t-shirt. Just happened to pull it out of the drawer. I love my beloved Bulls, okay? No, no bias. Okay, I'm wearing a red hat, and I'm wearing a red t-shirt, but it does not in any mean, any way mean that I support the teachers more than I support Lori Lightfoot in this particular conflict, dear. I just want to make that clear. Thank you. All right, other people say, well, what about the red phone? Okay, got the red phone, all right? Well, that's just my normal phone. (laughs) Some could say I would have a bias for the Bulls. Have you ever think of that? I wear a lot of Bulls stuff. Do you ever notice that? So anyway, just because I'm wearing a red hat. Your phone was ringing is right when you did the phone get, uh, gag. I know you hate it. when people call you during the show. Oh, no. Yeah, come on. Hold on. Could you not call me? Uh, listen, Mary, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, I'll tell you how to settle the strike, but after the show. Sorry, D. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. Accusations of bias. A misunderstanding, D. They said, because I'm wearing the red hat, I'm pro-teacher. I'm wearing the red T-shirt, must be pro-teacher. I'm wearing the, well, I'm not wearing, I'm bringing a red phone, must be pro-teacher. Uh-uh. And to prove it, 
I am now going to show you that I'm every bit as a neutral observer in this strike as the Chicago Tribune. All right, D? So I'm going to now uh, articulate viewpoints that are very similar to the Tribune to show you how unbiased I am. Are you ready? So here we go. <clears throat> there are too many nurses in the public schools. All right, D? They don't need nurses. What? Who needs a nurse? What you really need is more kids in a classroom. That's what you need. You want to teach kids how to read, D? Cram their classrooms with 45 kids. That's how you teach a kid to read. And these teachers, they're getting paid too much money. i tell you what we're going to do. Hey, teachers, if you want to have more nurses, you pay for them out of your salary. How's that, D? That's a just neutral observer, just like the Chicago Tribune. Anything else? Let's see. Oh, yes. We cannot afford to put into contract an obligation to hire more nurses, counselors, and therapists because we have to guarantee the contractual right of Sterling Bay and other developers to get TIF monies for their lawyers. What's more important? TIF money for lawyers to all powerful developers who are getting paid subsidies to build uh, upscale developments in gentrifying neighborhoods or money for nurses? or money for lower class size, or more money for more librarians and social workers. See the point, D? Obviously, the lawyers got to be taken care of. We have to take care of the lawyers for the developers, and until they're taken care of, and by the way, we also have to be take, taking care of the publicists for the developers. So until we pay off the lawyers for the developers, and until we pay off the publicists for the developers, we cannot afford one nickel to hire more nurses, more social workers, more counselors, or more librarians for the classrooms. Got that? All right. So let's let's just put aside for the notion in any way that I'm biased in this strike. And let's just say I'm absolutely as neutral as, hmm, the Chicago Tribune. That's correct. We got a great show today, everybody. Let's see. Miles Comp Lassen will be in the studio. And he's all fired up. He's probably wearing red from head to toe. Days, you know, he's with the teachers. He's also, you know, what? I have to throw a Bulls question or two at him. The Bulls season starting. You know, Miles is a huge Bulls fan. Did you know that, D? No. Uh, yeah. So we'll be talking to uh, Miles about the teacher strike. Also, I'll uh, talk to him about what's going on uh, in Washington. I know he's getting his thoughts on the last uh, yesterday's debate. I should say, was that two days ago? Two days ago. Uh, and AOC uh, endorsed Bernie Sanders. You know. Miles will be very happy about that. So we'll be talking politics with Miles. Jeff Johnson will be here. Uh, pension guru will be talking about uh, Pritzker's pension consolidation plan. Also the casino. What's going on with the city of Chicago owning a casino? Uh, hmm, that's an interesting alternative event. Will that uh, raise the money we need to pay off our pension obligations? Interesting to see what Jeff Johnson has to say. Also talk to him about the teacher strike. I know he's got some opinions about the teacher strike. And then speaking of the teacher strike. In the studio 230, Brandon Johnson, the pride and joy of Austin. He is a Cook County Board Commissioner, and he's also... Oh, I thought his name was... <laughs> that was drum roll. Oh, okay. Well, here she comes. She's a man eater. Sorry. Uh, and uh, Brandon will be in here talking about the teacher strike. He was a former organizer for the Chicago Teachers Union, and he's still a member, I believe, of the Chicago Teachers Union. So it'll be interesting to hear what Brandon Johnson has to say about the Chicago Teachers Union and their strike. And uh, so plenty of national talk. Talk, local talk, Illinois talk, teacher strike talk, defending the. I'm, by the way, when we come back, I'll 
defend the Tribune. Something there you go. Very, I'm going to say something nice about the Tribune. They wrote something, in my humble opinion, excellent in today's Tribune by uh, Steve Chapman. So plenty of political talk ahead of us. But before we do any of that, the young man from Alton, he's not wearing red. Oh, no. He's strictly neutral. The man they call the doctor. Dr. D. Way to throw your co-host under the bus there before they throw it to him. That's great. He's not wearing red, douchebag. Now read the news. How's it going, everybody? Uh, this live stream is driving me crazy this week. I don't know what the hell's going on. It's kind of upsetting me, to be quite honest. Um, I'm trying to get it going here as we do the show live. Uh, guys, keep me posted on the live stream as to what's going on here. I just restarted it. It looks like we're going live at the moment. I don't know. You know, guys? Wait, so that's this why... This hillbilly you... can only do so much. <laughs> that's why you were pushing that button? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, no, I was adjusting. So you... show everybody your sh- uh, red shirt again, by the way. Just, oh. a, just a coincidence, okay? Yeah. And the hat, just a coincidence. Downloaders, you get a load of that? Did you see that? And oh, man, that was so Dennis cool. is wearing red socks, everybody. There you, can't you just go. see it. And red underwear. <laughs> oh, can't see that okay. either. Okay, I didn't tell you I was wearing red underwear. How did you know that? Uh, you know. Okay, we've been working together too long. <laughs> oh, here she comes. Please stop. Okay, here we go. Let's talk about the news happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. And who are we kidding? Let's talk about the Chicago teacher strike. Yes, we knew it was coming. The mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, and the Chicago Teachers Union could not cut a deal in time. So, as promised, the Chicago teachers are striking. Uh, if any of you live uh, right across the street from a high school, like me, you learned that way early this morning. <laughs> I was sleeping. I kept hearing horns talking. Like, what the hell? Oh, you, that means solidarity with the teachers. Solidarity with the teachers. All right. Uh-oh. Uh, I, you know, I was sleeping, so I didn't know. So I was like, what the hell is going on? Yep. All those people honking those horns are neutral observers, okay? They just, they're not biased in favor of the teachers, all right? Because who would you want to be, so whose side would you want to be on? Let's see. Lawyers for rich developers or people who teach your kids? Hmm. I'm a neutral. I work for the Tribune. I'm a neutral observer. Yeah, screw the kids. Those guys got a lot of money. <laughs> Let's go with the lawyers. Uh, anyway. All right. So uh, what I have here is audio. We could sit here and talk about it, but we got audio uh, from both Lori Lightfoot. She gave a press conference a couple of hours ago. We're going to play uh, as much as we can from this press conference here. She really uh, gives you the crux of all of this here. Uh, but a piece of audio that we did not play yesterday. Quite possibly the best uh, Chicago local audio from uh, anyone all year. Chicago Teachers Union Vice President, the one, the only, Stacey Davis-Gates. She gave a press conference uh, yesterday. And holy cow, I love Stacey Davis-Gates. <laughs> She's so awesome. So uh, we're going to play, before we play uh, Lori's press conference today, uh, giving us the latest here, let's hear from Stacey Davis-Gates. She really does paint a picture as to why uh, the teachers are striking here. So uh, Stacey Davis-Gates, take it away. My God, you were badass. The same goals that we have in the contract currently is what they put in writing. That's insufficient. Number two, the same class size committee that's currently in the contract is what she put in writing. That's insufficient. The set, and they have not committed a dollar amount to lowering class sizes. There are 1,300 oversized classrooms in the city of Chicago right now. If you go on the south side to Chatham, there are almost 40 students in a, a kindergarten classroom. If you go to the 10th ward on the southeast side of town, you can go in a classroom with 36 kids in a, a kindergarten classroom. And you know what's even more offensive this morning is that they have nurses coming into our schools on tomorrow to be with students, but she cannot put a nursing ratio in a contract. This is not a joke, people. This team, our team of 40, 
we have been asking, begging, organizing, demanding the same things for the last 10 years. And she should know because her team, her campaign team, copy and pasted every single demand that we've put forth for the last 10 years into a campaign platform. She has given speech after speech about resourcing neighborhood schools, providing nurses and librarians, and yet we're standing here talking about a mayor who knew it was her job when she ran to be mayor, knew it was her job to transform the Chicago public schools so she can put a nurse in a classroom in the school building when it's empty but can't put one in there when it's full of students. Next question. Oh, next question. Next question. <laughs> Davis. Next question. Uh, listen, it, it, I mean... I know I'm supposed to be a neutral observer, but <laughs> yeah, that's not the window. <laughs> it's hard to argue with anything Stacey Davis Gates said there. You know, I was talking to a Lori Lightfoot supporter yesterday, uh, and this supporter was saying that everybody favors having more nurses in the schools, Ben. Well, the reality is that is not true. Uh, if everybody favored having more nurses or more librarians or more social workers or more counselors in the Chicago public schools, we would have them. We would have had them already. We've had, we've lived through 20, 30 years of all powerful mayors, uh, Daly and Rahm, who were free to do whatever they wanted pretty much without any restrictions, no uh, opposition whatsoever. They appointed the school board so the school board was compliant and they controlled the city council so the city council was compliant and they were reelected every time they ran. So they were free to do whatever they wanted. Guess what? They did not on their own add nurses, Social workers, counselors, and librarians to our classrooms. They did not, on their own, add more teachers to the school so that we would have less overcrowding. They didn't do it on their own when they're free to do it. It is taking a teacher strike to do it. And I've said this all along. The absolute worst place and way to deal with these critical issues of inequity that our schools confront that make uh, poor neighborhoods at such a disadvantage to wealthy neighborhoods, the absolute worst way to deal with this is a teacher strike. But absent a teacher strike, our city would not confront these issues. So I, I tell you, I'm trying to find my inner tribune and be quote unquote neutral on this one. <laughs> neutral, but it's really hard to argue with the logic of Stacey Davis Gates. Nothing has changed. The offer is just let me copy what's already in the contract, let me paste it to a new sheet of paper, and let me say that this is a worthy counterproposal. Can you see what's already in the contract, the contract, the previous contract. The one we're in right now. Listen, I've told you all this a million times before. Her team, their strategy is to take back everything that we've already won in previous contracts and offer it back to us with percentages. Not with what we have already, not what, with, not what our students deserve or what we're demanding, but the same thing or less. That's the problem here. There is a gross disconnection between what she says and what's on the table. Damn, she's cool. <laughs> well, here's the, the other thing. Uh, I, would, I would add my observation uh i don't know if stacy davis gates would agree with me in this point but essentially the uh mayor lightfoot and her uh, aides and her advisors and her supporters uh, in the media are telling the teachers shut up and take the money so here's stacy davis gates arguing on behalf of adding uh, nurses 
counselors, social workers, librarians, etc. And clearly, Lori Lightfoot does not want to make that contractual obligation to hiring them. Because if she does make that contractual obligation to hiring them, then they got to dedicate money to them. And so she would rather have that freedom not to have to hire uh, all these other new employees. And so essentially they're saying to the teachers, take the money and shut up. And I've said this many times. For the last 20 years, the reformers uh, who uh, are preaching more charter schools have branded teachers as selfish and greedy. And I can recall uh, editorials written in, in this in newspapers in this town saying that teachers are essentially in it for the money. They're, they're asking for too much money. In fact, I could recall some editorials right now and articles in the paper arguing that somehow or other teachers are overpaid in the city of Chicago. Right now, at this very time. So here you have the teachers on strike for issues that are not directly related to money in their pocket. And what is, what, what's, what is the, the cultural elite, the civic elite of Chicago saying? Shut up and take the money. So it's funny if the, if the teachers are damned, if they say they want more money and they're damned, if they say we want more nurses, uh, counselors and librarians, essentially the city of Chicago is telling the teachers, just be quiet and let us run the show. Well, I love Stacey Davis. Gates. Yeah, I know, stick, come on. Those reporters were not ready for that realness. <laughs> How about oh, oh my. Okay. Well, <laughs> that was honest. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, Dennis, I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> Stacey Davis Gates is not messing around. By the way, just to let everybody know, Stacey Davis. Davis Gates will be our guest at the hideout. There you go. Septem- oh, September. Oh, September. There you go, guys. <laughs> Let's jump in our time machines back to September and uh, put on our shorts, <laughs> tank tops. Uh, we'll go see. Uh, <laughs> yeah, November 5th. Thank there you. you go. All Tuesday, right. Tuesday, November 5th, 1354, West Wabanzia. Very good. Stacey Davis Gates at the hideout. Yeah. Maya Duke Masaba making her oh my uh, God. first Tuesday co host debut. <laughs> Holy oh cow. God, I had two powerful women in uh, in one setting, so it should be a great show. Stacey, let's hope the teacher strikes over by then. No kidding. Who knows where we'll stand by then, but Stacey Davis-Gates, well, you know she'll be honest, yeah, everybody. She'll be honest. All right, so to the other side of things here, oh. Lori Lightfoot, the mayor, gave a press conference this morning, mm-hmm. and, uh, well, this is where we give a shout-out to the Chicago Sun-Times uh, one and only Fran the Woe Man Spielman. She was front and center for this press conference. You can hear her loud and clear here, standing right by the mayor. Wait, hold on. Fran Spielman, who has a podcast uh, on this very Sun-Times network, that Fran Spielman? Ben, let me just say, <laughs> I am so proud of you right now. Fran Look Spielman, at you. Who, who, uh, Sell that podcast. Fran Spielman, whose podcast uh, is recorded right here in this very studio. Yeah, uh, that Fr- Fran Spielman. Fran Spielman, who shares the studio with us, that Fran Spielman. Yes. Okay, just wanted to clarify that. Fran Spielman has a podcast now. She's our new studio roommate. Uh, she comes in on Fridays, and the episode is available by Friday evening, I'm I sure. I just want to say to Fran Spielman, these uh, delicious almond butter biscuits oh they are really free to have one and share it with your guests get them while you can before this broke ass producer (laughs) takes them home mark sims let's shout out to mark sims for dropping them off right d yeah absolutely all right so uh like i said fran the woman spielman well, you know, she uh, she was talking with Lori Lightfoot there. Shout out to her. She killed it today <laughs> on this press conference. Let's go ahead and start. I have four clips from this morning's press conference. Mayor, the newspaper editorials have both said, stand strong, hang tough, easy for them to say, of course. But do you think they've also suggested, at least our paper has, that you might have made a mistake in, in promising the raise and raising the raise so early on. Where do you go from here without really bankrupting the store. Get well, we're, we're, we're not moving any further on money because we can't. 
um, I thought it was important for us um, after we went through the fact-finding process to um, uh, advance a very fair and generous compensation package for our teachers um, and we believe that we've done that um, so I'm hopeful that we'll continue discussions and that the strike will be limited in duration but from a financial standpoint we always have to keep in mind the taxpayers um, CPS is just on the other side of a pretty significant crisis um, and we don't have unlimited resources but having said that, we put very generous offers on the table, both for teachers and support personnel, and I'm hopeful that we'll be able to bring them back to the table and resolve all the other open issues. Truthfully, over the last couple of weeks, we really haven't been talking about compensation at all. What we've been talking about is a series of other ancillary issues. More recently, the two issues that they ask us to focus on, class sizes um, and staffing, I thought we made actually significant progress on in responding um, back and forth um, to um, their um, expressed desires around those two issues. So really the focal point has been non-compensation issues, so I feel good about that, but we need to get back to the table and get a deal done. Yes, uh, the focus has been uh, non-compensation issues. Absolutely. As I've been saying, class size and wraparound employees, the, the teachers unions are on strike on those, basically those two issues. Now, let me just point this out in defense of Lori Lightfoot. Okay, here we go. In defense of Lori Lightfoot's strategy, by law, the teachers are not allowed to negotiate around class size uh, or uh, wraparound services. They're not, certainly not allowed to strike on them. So, I, obviously, Lori Lightfoot's uh, strategists and advisors who've been through a few of these uh, teacher negotiations were advising her, uh, hey, look, Mayor, what we'll do, we'll give them some money. They can't strike on the other thing. They'll take the money, boom, bada bing, bada boom. Somehow or other, I'm making Lori's advisors sound like someone from The Sopranos. Hey, yeah, you know yeah. what you gotta do? Hey, bada boom, bada bing. Here's the situation. Here's the situation. <laughs> but they didn't realize they got Stacey Davis Gates on the other side. So uh, the, the teachers have taken the position that uh, it's it, it, that class size and um, wraparound services can be negotiated and will be negotiated. And so now they're, uh, Lori Lightfoot has to decide how far she's going to push this. Will she go all the way and say, hey, you can't do that and go to court uh, to seek an injunction to force the teachers back? And that's a possible strategy. I hope it doesn't get to that. Uh, so I'm defending Lori Lightfoot. She was... Uh, uh, bowing to the prevailing wisdom. And isn't it interesting that editorial boards, maybe we'll talk about Monday morning quarterbacking. You know, well, now there's a strike and it's like things are rough. They're like second guessing Lori. You were with Lori all the way, guys. Now things are a little rough. You're backing. Oh, I'm nervous. Huh? <laughs> oh, it's nervous. The teachers went on strike. <laughs> I mean, guys, you were with her. You were saying, be tough. You know, take, hey, teachers, shut up and take the money. The teachers didn't shut up and take the money. And now you're like, oh, Second guessing going on there. It's like Bear fans all second guessing Ryan Pace, who's the general manager of the Bears, who thought it was a good idea to trade up to take Mitch Trubisky as opposed to taking two of the greatest quarterbacks you could have taken from that generation. I know I'm not allowed to talk sports. Let's wrap it up. Come on, come which on. Which is a worse decision? A Lori Lightfoot not agreeing to hire more nurses, social workers, and counselors, or the Bears trading up to take Mitch Trubisky? I like how you're trying to sneak off the island here. Bears fans. Dude, you're a Bears fan. That's you. <laughs> Love the Bears. 
bears. I hate saying it. I love the bears. Come but, on. But come on. It's true. Editorial boards. You take a stand, take the stand. Don't go, oh, nervous now. I uh, have to back off. Anyway, good question. Yeah, on the picket line, there are teachers and support staff today saying, you know, these are the things that the mayor campaigned on, putting a nurse in every school, a librarian in every school. Mm-hmm. Uh, what... What do you say to those folks who think that you've maybe reneged on promises or not? you're not following through on these campaigns? Well, I think what they need to do is go to um, our offer, um, cps.edu uh, forward slash our offer, because what you'll see there is that we've made good on the things that I said during the campaign. Um, back at the end of August, as the um, Chicago Public Schools Board voted on a budget that allocated substantially more nurses, counselors, uh, case um, management. That more recently, we told the union, and maybe they haven't fully communicated that to their membership, that not only that, we hadn't stopped, we were continue hiring. Um, the numbers of personnel that um, are in our schools, the year-over-year increase is substantial. Plus, we added um, another $400,000 every year to create the pipeline to be, be able to actually fill those positions. So we've made good on what we've said. Um, we're going to continue to press forward. We know that these additional resources are important. What I've asked repeatedly is for Jesse Sharkey and the CTU to join us in helping um, fulfill the pipeline, to go to college campuses, to do the recruiting. They haven't taken us up on that, but we're not going to wait. We're going to continue doing what yeah. we said. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, there's a couple subtle you got to give Lori Light for credit. She's still, you know, she she's pretty good. She threw a couple subtle jabs there. Uh, you know, she said, uh, yeah, perhaps the union hasn't fully communicated this to its members. Oops. In other words, uh, good, terrible job, Jesse Sherry. And then she names Jesse, didn't name Stacy. Notice that because uh, Jesse's the president. Stacy's only, quote unquote, the vice president. So I'm not going to even mention <laughs> Stacy Davis Gates, uh, even though I think more and more in the public's mind that Stacy Davis Gates is emerging as the face of the Chicago Teachers Union. All right. Here's the deal on that, folks. I'm just going to help you out on this one a little bit. I've been following budgets in the city of Chicago for two gazillion years. All right. There's a difference between saying you're going to put in a budget uh, a, a, a position for nurses and actually hiring a nurse. All right. That's a difference. People do it all the time. Excuse me. Mayors do it all the time. They open up job vacancies. Why? Because those vacancies and they don't fill those vacancies. The money comes in. They can spend it on something else. So the teachers union is asking the uh, mayor and her board of education to make a contractual obligation to hire nurses, social workers, counselors. And the mayor doesn't want to make that contractual or she hasn't wanted to make that contractual obligation. Maybe she'll change her mind. I would applaud her if she did change her mind i'd be your biggest supporter d i would i wouldn't be wearing a red hat to, what would what's Lori's colors i don't know Lori's from know. ohio so it'd be like oh red because ohio state ohio state okay i'd be wearing red ohio state hat for you know for Lori if she put it in the contract so you know that's the difference the difference between saying i'm making a commitment to hire and making a contractual obligation to hire. And one more time, I'll point this out, like pointing this out. We have a contractual obligation to pay for the lawyers at uh, the Sterling Bay Lincoln Yards Development D. That's a contractual obligation. It's part of the deal we cut with them, all right? So if it's good enough for their lawyers, it's good enough for the nurses in the public schools. So to recap, listeners, uh, if you know he's for the CTU, so he wears a red hat. But if he went over to Lori, he would also wear a red oh, uh, hat. Yeah. Well, Poignant. No, I mean, you know what? I'd put on my bear's cap. <laughs> 
okay. because Lori's okay. a huge Bears fan. Remember she explained that? Yeah. So uh, I'd wear my Bears hat for Lori. All right, I got two more clips to play in the following two clips. Good stuff, bud. All right, then the following two clips here is when France Spielman just rolls up her sleeves and says, Get out the way, rookies. I'll show you how to get a scoop. <laughs> <laughs> Every day that? that a strike goes, Mayor, doesn't it hurt you too? No. Because the pressure comes from the parents and they're going to blame everybody, right? No, I don't, I don't see it that way and I don't look at it that way. Um, this isn't about politics for me. This is about making sure that we um, are protecting our children, that we're providing a safe and nurturing environment for them, and that we get a deal done that both respects the teachers and the support staff, um, honors our fiduciary responsibility um, to the taxpayers, and then puts a, in place a good, solid foundation for our children on which to continue to grow and thrive. Would we the be politics if, if doesn't if matter. Tony Preckwinkle were the mayor? I, I, I can't speculate about that. Mayor, yes, at this Becky. point, is school off tomorrow? <clears throat> not when yeah, I, we until we get notification from the CTU that they're intending to come back to the classroom, school is canceled for the, for the, the duration. Mary, you yes, let me go back. Let me, you, let me go back here. Uh, Mayor, yeah. you said yesterday that you thought that the strike had been in the works for a while, short of giving them everything they wanted on the first offer. Uh, was this strike inevitable in your mind? Well, I, I don't want to. I don't want to speculate about what was the intention of the CTU. But there's a deal that could have been had. We could have had this deal at the end of August. We could have had it in September. We could have had it any time in October. Um, if you don't, if you really want to avoid a strike, you actually ramp up the bargaining days. You stay at it night and day. You talk about the main issues. You actually give counter proposals and not just reject what's on the table. There's a real back and forth and dialogue. We saw a little bit of that in the waning days before the strike started, but it certainly wasn't there early on. That's the seriousness of purpose that we have to need, a sense of urgency to get this deal done. And I hope that when we return to the bargaining table, that sense of urgency will be there because this is, there's a sense of urgency, certainly on our part. All right, a sense of urgency. Well, obviously, it wasn't that much urgency because the teachers are on strike. Look, I always get a little nervous when mayors talk about fiduciary responsibilities to taxpayers. First of all, I love the word fiduciary. Yeah. I remember the, where I was when I first heard the word fiduciary. It was 1981, D. I was sitting on... Milo, I want to shout out to my, my good friend, Milo, my longtime friend, Milo. We were, we were uh, sitting on the front porch of his house, uh, and uh, his friend Roger was behind us. And I believe marijuana was being smoked. Dee. Oh, okay. okay marijuana. 81? You weren't, though, because you haven't smoked since 1979. Uh, I think it was 81. I oh, may have been partaking. okay. All right. Anyway, we were talking about... The last time you smoked marijuana. The Chicago Cubs and how they had not invited Ernie Banks to spring training uh, to just be Ernie Banks, uh, the great legendary Mr. Cub, and and they they would cut him from the payroll. And Miles said, they're so cheap, I'm never going to support the Cubs again. And from behind us, sit, sit Roger, while Smoking a Joint says, well, the Cubs have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders. I was like, whoa, fiduciary. I haven't heard that word ever. I had to look it up in the dictionary. So uh, I love it when mayor says fiduciary responsibility to taxpayers. I agree. Mayors have a fiduciary responsibility to taxpayers. And that's why I, I'm sure that Lori Lightfoot will be joining me and Miles, my next guest, and you, Dennis, in saying... Stand with Amisha Patel and the Grassroots Collaborative in their lawsuit against forking over $1.3 billion for Lincoln Yards. How about a fiduciary responsibility for taxpayers on that one? All right. One point. All right. I'll cut a deal.
Here, I'm ready to cut a deal. I'm ready to make a deal. Wearing my red hat, got my red T-shirt, even though it does not show bias. Okay, just happen to have these hats. But even, I'll pretend as though they show bias. I will say, mm, only have to hire one nurse per school. One nurse per school if you do not give the $1.3 billion for Lincoln. That's a good deal, don't you think, D? I agree. Okay. All right. Very good. Miles is shaking his head. Yeah, I agree, too. Fiduciary responsibility to taxpayers. It starts before you start negotiating over nurses and librarians, things that taxpayers may want. Right. As opposed to mm, handouts for lawyers for upscale developments that I don't know any taxpayer uh, says they want to pay for. So anyway, just my thought when he gets to fiduciary responsibilities to taxpayers, D. You could yank the deal that you have. You could do that. Now that they're on strike, you could say all bets are off now. Will you do that? I, what I want to do is make sure that we continue to have productive discussions with the union so that we can get a deal done. They're at the table this morning yeah. um, before ahead of the round. Mayor, how do you feel? You're Last heading question. into the budget next week. You're in a very difficult period of your administration now. I mean, the honeymoon is really over now in terms of the strike, the so budget, you, so the you taxes. Say. No, but so is, it, is it? How do you Look, feel about I, that? I, the I governor and here, the... Here's, here's what, I, what I think. Um, we have gotten, I have personally gotten a lot of support from random people that I don't know um, via email. Somehow somebody's sending out my, my cell phone number and I'm getting text messages. But the truth is, I'm hearing a lot from CPS parents. I'm hearing a lot from teachers and support staff um, that they understand that we respect them, that we put a good deal on the table, that we respect teachers, and that we should get a deal done. So I feel very good about where we are. Of course, no one wants to strike. Um, and I'd, it'd be foolish to say it's fine. Um, we need to get this deal done. We need to get back to business as usual because we need to get our kids back in school. Man, I'll tell you what, it is kind of funny. I just thinking about this. In order to get more nurses, social workers and counselors, librarians in the, in the schools, teachers have to go on strike. I've never seen a developer have to go on strike to get a TIF handout, ever. I've been covering TIFs in this town since the 1980s, all right? I was just thinking about that when I was listening to Lori Lightfoot. And, uh, and Fran was asking her, is the honeymoon over? Uh, well, you know, I, I think Lori Lightfoot still is a very popular mayor in this town, D. I don't think uh, she has nearly been vilified as much as Rahm Emanuel. And I'm going to give her credit. I mean, you know, I've been kind of harder in the, for the first half hour of this show. But I'm going to give her credit. So far, uh, she's maintained... A a certain amount of dignity uh, and showed uh, just just showed some open-mindedness in, t- in her attitude toward the teachers whereas of course Rom was just his attitude was to raise uh, the middle finger high uh, at the Chicago Public School teacher. He made a gross uh, miscalculation. He thought that there was an anti-teacher fervor in this town and he could ride it all the way. Who knows what his total ambitions are at the White House. So Lori Lightfoot has obviously learned on the rhetorical front uh, not to, to go at the teachers hard. And by the way, she did not you notice she didn't take the bait when Fran asked her, well, you could just pull the offer from the table now, start at zero, you know, which would, oh, there we go, we'd be like a month long strike if that were to happen. She did not take the bait. So I'm going to give her a shout out. How about that, D? There you go. All right, I'm going to give her a shout out. You got your uh, Lori Red Hat on. It's Lori Red Hat now, okay? So, it's, yeah, because she's from Ohio, Ohio State colors, so it could go either way. It's either Chicago Teachers Union Red Hat or a Lori Red Hat. You know, I'm, hey, I'm like the Tribune, D. I'm neutral. Oh, all right. All okay. right. Neutral. All right. That's all right. a lie. All right. So. <laughs>
<laughs> uh, shout out to Steven. He weighed in on the uh, YouTube live stream chat here, and he says, Damn, Fran, she asks the tough questions and speaks truth to power. She's a great role model for all journalists and news readers. Why, yes, Steven, she is. And you can hear her every Friday right here at ChicagoSunTimes.com, the Fran Spielman podcast. She talks with guests, politicians. Hey, maybe she'll have been on one day. No, that would require me getting up early on a Friday. Okay, she's not going to have been on one day. <laughs> yeah. Fran Spielman show. This Friday, download it right now. Audio only, no more video, all right? And coming up next, we got Miles Kampflassen. Miles Kampflassen is in studio. We're going to be talking all things progressive politics and uh, more than likely chicken sandwiches. <laughs> Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Miles kemp from In These Times uh, in the studio. He's every Thursday talking politics with us. Uh, Miles, are you wearing red today? Is that red? It, it is. It is. It is. is well, red. you know, I, it could be an Ohio State red. We don't. We yeah. Don't, yeah I, it's actually my, this is a Chicago Bulls red. I'm excited. We're going <laughs> to. 
going to be a heck, heck of a season. Uh, yes, Chicago Bulls, and we're going to take a, a, the deep dive in the, uh, politics, but I just have to say, folks, if you're a Bulls fan, check out the Joe Colley interview we dropped on Saturday, well, right? Apparently some of you are Bulls fans, because, yeah, we have quite a few downloads for the Joe Colley uh, podcast. Yeah, episode. Joe Colley being the beat writer from the Sun-Times. He's, uh, he's a great guest. He doesn't. I'll tell you what, he does not pull punches. like the Fran Spielman uh, when it comes to covering the Bulls. Oh, he's not yeah. afraid to tell it like it is. When, what do you guys say? So I urge everybody to check it out. And we're going to bring Joe back for tomorrow. We're going to do an interview with Joe. He's going to give us preseason predictions. That's great. Yeah, and we may get uh, Miles, drag Miles in the studio. Let's take Miles competing against Joe Cowley, who can be uh, more oh, accurate with their pre- wow. The winner, I'll buy him waffles at that Waffle House down the street. How about that? All right. Not uh, the Waffle House. We don't have a Waffle House. Well, there, I was walking down the street, and I passed a, uh, a restaurant that said Waffles. I went oh. in, and the people coming out goes, man, these waffles are good. I, say, I guarantee there's no actual Waffle House at the West Loop. No, no. We, can't, we haven't gotten those to Chicago yet, only in the South. But. Uh, no, but there, this is just a restaurant that says Waffles, and you know I love waffles and eggs. Anyway, all right, Miles, uh, let's talk teacher strike. Uh, your general thoughts. It's happening. Uh, I was out this morning at a couple uh, picket lines. I went to uh, Logandale uh, Elementary and then to Yates, both uh, kind of the northwest side near uh, my neck of the woods and you know the it's just flashbacks to 2012 i mean you see the uh energy it's electric out on the streets every uh vehicle passing by honking you know raising fists screaming out uh the teachers had uh brought a uh, massive speaker and were just bumping tunes you know and so they're dancing in the picket line i mean when it, it, it's it, i think that Lori lightfoot's uh, uh approach so far has kind of been to say we don't have the money and that's still where they're at today. I was, uh, you know, interested to hear what, uh, Dennis just played there where she said, nobody wants a strike. That's great to hear. That's not what she had been saying before. She had been saying, you know, teachers sound like they want to strike. They're determined to strike as if this was some pre-planned operation. Like this is clearly the result. The reason 94% of the membership voted to strike is because they see that their demands are not being met at the bargaining table and because having an exciting strike you know where you're expressing your solidarity with your fellow workers and teachers that's a good thing it's not like people should be dour on the picket line that's not how you know labor actions work it's a good thing to show that there is energy and as the sun times poll the other day showed i mean the public is with the teachers more than they're with the mayor. And, you know, I, I heard her saying she's getting texts and emails from people that are supporting her. And I'm sure that that's true. But I think by and large, the longer this goes on, I cannot imagine that she's going to be in a stronger bargaining position. I mean, what she said is that, you know, there's no more money. That's what she just said. And that is so at the same time, she's putting together the budget that she's going to present. You you make money, you know, you make investments. That's what a contract is. It's looking forward years in the future. I mean, this is what they're putting forward, a five year contract. You would expect that they would be willing to make some uh, concessions to these teachers around things outside of just pay when that's what Lori Lightfoot ran on that she she was she was just inaugurated in May you know her whole uh, agenda was based on equity and justice and talking about fully funding public education talking about investing in affordable housing talking about strengthening sanctuary these are all the, the demands that the teachers are making so for her to not do that now it just seems as if she's abandoning her pledges and I think that that's what the public sees. And I think that's why the strike, you know, I had a Lyft driver last night and he hadn't been following it very well, but the way he put it, he said, you know, you know, in 2012, the teachers went on strike. They kind of, they, they, Ron wanted to go after him and they slapped him. It's like, I think, <laughs> I think they might end up slapping her too. Yeah. I just thought, well, you know, it's, that's one way to put it. I can't imagine a, a resolution to this right now 
that uh, and that makes puts her in a stronger position. Well, there's a, a conventional wisdom uh, in this in city right now when when they take a look at the, where we're at with this teacher strike, uh, that the teachers went on strike to send a message to Lori Lightfoot uh, that they're here too. She has to pay uh, attention to them, and that um, just because they backed Tony Perkwinkle and she got mopped by Lori Lightfoot, uh, Lori Lightfoot can't take them for granted. I'm a little hesitant to jump along. Well, take that out. I'm I'm very hesitant to jump onto that bandwagon wagon of conventional wisdom, uh, because I think it takes a lot to get uh, people to uh, willingly give up a paycheck. And I don't think uh, so many teachers would go on a picket line uh, just to support uh, Stacey Davis-Gates' vendetta against Lori Lightfoot uh, or uh, Jesse Sharkey's vendetta against Lori Lightfoot. So I I feel that's an overplayed hand. But I do think, I get your thoughts on this, um, that there's some parallels between the way Democrats Democratic mayors of Chicago govern uh, and the way a Democratic uh, presidential candidates, the centrists, are, are pre- appealing for votes. Uh, Lori Lightfoot is essentially saying when she ran for office, she said more nurses, social workers and counselors. And yet it took a strike for her to get to the point where she says, I'll put that in the contract. It took a strike, Miles, to get her to say that. Uh, and it, when I when I when I see her holding back on these commitments, even though people want them, I, I have echoes in my mind of uh, Amy Klobuchar uh, and various moderate Democrats, Pete Buttigieg, saying, we can't go too far where our base is. 85% of the base, the Democratic base, like wants health care for all. Yeah. We can't go too far. Yeah. We can't go too far. There's only so much money. And I'm just like, what are Democrats ever going to, like, take the lead and be as powerful and passionate in their convictions as Republicans are with theirs. Yeah. And well, this is what, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? She's in office. She ran on those things. She ran on this pretty broad agenda in which she signed on to even many of the things that, uh, you know, the grassroots collaborative, Amisha Patel's group was calling for. Now she won't uh, enact these basic measures that would help to fund some of these programs. I mean, she could, uh, commit to things like a corporate head tax, things like a uh, real estate transfer tax, some of these progressive revenue items that the city can do on its own. She could also go to Springfield and push for state level changes, things like a financial transaction tax, things like a um, you know more progressive income tax in the city itself. But we have not seen that. We haven't seen her you know really stick her neck out to push forward the big progressive revenue options, which are basically what people want, which is to tax the rich. I mean, Chicago is the, you know, third biggest metropolis in the country where the economic hub of the Midwest, there's so much money that is flowing through the city. And there's so many extremely wealthy people here. We see, you know, Ken Griffin, he's putting money towards rebuilding the lakefront trail. Well, why can't we uh, redistribute some of that wealth uh, through taxation to fund these basic things. It's a question of priorities, right? I mean, this is, I think that that's the thing that really irks people so much is not just seeing as you, um, rightly brought up, uh, things like Lincoln yards. It's just the, the city's priorities in general, in terms of talking about how we need to bring business here. That's, you know, such, and if we raise taxes, if we put in a corporate head tax, which was in place until 2014, when Rom took it away, I mean, it's not like that's some crazy idea. That's something the city uh, already had in, in place. We see all of these tax giveaways going to the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, all these huge economic players. Meanwhile, Chicago public school system is, you know, almost uh, 90% people of color. It's overwhelmingly low income. You know, these are the people, same type of people that are being driven out of the city right now. You know, we're seeing a mass exodus of 
poor people of color and at the expense of them to bring in things like, you know, these big corporate uh, behemoths. So it's a question of what are, what kind of city do you want to uh, be overseeing? And if you want to just continue to have Rom's vision of, uh, you know, world-class glitzy uh, corporate metropolis that's only for the uber wealthy that can afford these giant luxury condos, then, you know, be honest about that. But if you do want to see equity, then that's where, th- that's why I say rubber hits the road. She's in a position right now to make these commitments in writing. That's why they keep saying put it in a contract because, you know, she'll say I'm going to hire 200 uh, new staff members, but they also say they want flexibility, which means that those staff members could just, you know, go away once we present the budget and see, uh oh, we owe, you know, a whole other bunch of money to some creditors or Mm -hmm. something. So I think it's a really is that's what irks people so much when they see this is that it, we're turning away from the people that are the most in need in the city and the people that have made Chicago the city that it is, you know, is if, if Chicago was all tech bros, nobody would want to you know, live here. You and I would be sick of it. You know, it's the, it's the, it's the, the people that give Chicago life and character are the working class people that are, you know, uh, being taught in Chicago public schools and that are, have been getting, uh, screwed year after year since Renaissance 2010, since we put in this privatization agenda, we've seen these uh, schools be disinvested. And it's not as if a nurse in every school is some crazy demand. That was the case in Chicago public schools before these crazy cutbacks. So that's it's a moral document to say, you know, we want a contract that's going to say, hey, public education actually should be fully funded and we're going to make uh, commitments to reach that goal, even if it means pissing off the corporate elites. Well, I have to tell you, uh, there was a very good uh, column, I thought, in the Chicago uh, reporter by Curtis Black today. It was interesting. He went back in time and just uh, reminiscing about some teacher strikes from the 80s. And it just brought back so many memories, uh, Miles, that this city is always, uh, (laughs) it's always been a shortage of money when it comes to adequately funding our public schools. And uh, now, if you go back to the 80s and the 70s even, you're talking 40 years ago, uh, 40 plus years ago, that's a full generation of people who went through the public schools, short change public schools. And uh, so, like I said, it took a teacher strike to get the issue of uh, nurses and counselors uh, on the table, the threat of a teacher strike. And uh, I I don't know if that will change. If the city, let me put it to this way. Uh, If the city changes the way you're talking about, and there is like a a continued demographic, uh, poor people leaving the city, uh, wealthier people coming in the city and starting to use the public schools, we might then see a change in attitude yeah. where Chicago treats its public schools, let's say, the way people in Winnetka and Wilmette uh, treat their public schools, yeah. where they're invested in it because their kids go to the public schools. Do you follow what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, well, they wouldn't put up with 40 kids in a kindergarten classroom, you know, which is regularly the, 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 the case in some schools. I mean, this is um, very, the, these are alarming conditions, I think, for pretty much anybody that hasn't grown up just getting used to it. And you're completely right. I mean, this is a decades upon decades long uh, issue. It's not as if it started in 2010. But I think that the difference is that at the time of the last teacher strike, you know, corporate uh, neoliberal education reform was really that ruled the day. That's what, you know, Michelle Rhee and Eva Moskowitz and these privatizers were on the covers of uh, all these magazines saying, you know, they have all the answers. Charters were multiplying. It was, you know, you had Cory Booker partnering with Chris Christie to, you know, put forward 
education privatization agenda, which is essentially a backdoor way to union bust because you're bringing in these uh, schools that don't have any democracy in them that are just run by corporate profiteers, which Lord knows we saw with Uno and all these different uh, charter operators here. Um, and, and, that, and so the whole trend nationally, including by Democrats, I mean, Obama's race to the top program was uh, based on that same type of model was uh, about starving public education. I mean, that was not the explicit goal of it, but ultimately what resulted from a lot of these um, programs that the, these privatizers put into place were decimating union membership, were leading to things like poorer conditions in the schools, less resources, higher class size. Now things are different. You know, the tide has turned a little bit against that. And you see that in the Democratic debates, too. All of these guys, even Cory Booker's running away from yeah. that, you know, because they, they, they realize the public sentiment has turned against that. Charters never perform better statistically on test scores than uh, public schools did. And as we saw in Chicago now, the charters are being unionized by the CTU. So it's kind of like, what is their use anymore? So it has changed the playing field a little bit. I think it allowed um, the teachers to go on offense a little bit more and say, we're going to have to win back some of these things that have been cut out of our schools for so many years and not only demand them back, but have a brighter vision, you know, going forward where, you know, they're open to creating pathways to getting a nurse in every school, but that should be a gold standard. You shouldn't you know, have to fight for that. And as you said, you shouldn't have to go on strike for well, it. Well, and before I'm going to, we're switched to national politics, but I'll just leave it with this. Uh, I don't know how long this teacher strike will go on. I don't know how contentious it'll get. Uh, I don't know if there could be a reconciliation and a deal cut over the weekend. I will have Brandon Johnson in here from the Chicago Teachers Union in about a half hour. We'll be asking him some of these questions. But I do know this, uh, that if Chicago continues to finance it's uh, not just its schools, but its services in general with regressive taxes. It just uh, puts greater pressure on the people who could least afford it to pay the obligations and bills that having decent government require. And it's a really difficult situation that Chicago's face. And I, I, I'm not under, uh, let's put it this way. I don't minimize what uh, Lori Lightfoot is confronting. Mm -hmm. uh, I just, it, I think it's clear that so far her instincts are not of the Bernie Sanders variety uh, on this on these issues, or the Elizabeth Warren variety on these issues. It's pretty clear she's more of an Amy Klobuchar type. <laughs> well, in fact, she spoke out against the, the Warren style of politics, and that you know, and the what was that the Sun Times or something? She was quoted as saying, you know, we don't want to go too far left. Oh, Pritzker as oh, well. Uh, Lori Lightfoot. Lori Lightfoot said. Yeah. Uh, I, I missed that quote. I didn't yeah. see that. Uh, I know, and I'm not saying that uh, Lori Lightfoot has endorsed Amy Klobuchar. And all my <laughs> Amy Klobuchar fans out there, we love you too. Uh, but anyway. Just, all three of you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about the the, the goings on here. I know uh, Miles makes it uh, no secret. He's a bit of a Bernie Sanders uh, fan. And a big day for Bernie the other day. Uh, AOC uh, gave her gave him her endorsement. So uh, I think that this is a uh, as to be expected. I think we've started to see the way the media would respond to this, which is that they're trying to downplay it basically and say, oh, this was always going to happen. Or, uh, you know, some of these commentators are saying, oh, it's for the best that Elizabeth Warren didn't get the endorsement of the squad of uh, uh, AOC and Ilan Omar, because it would just drag her down and show, you know, there's more of a rift in the party and Trump would be able to call this the new face of the Democratic Party. That all misses the point. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is one of the most popular figures in Democratic politics right now. And certainly that was one of the most sought after endorsements um, in this 
primary. I mean, obviously, you know, getting Barack Obama's support would be a pretty big deal. But next to that, AOC's <laughs> pretty pretty close to the top. And Bernie Sanders got it on the same night that he uh, had what has been called out even by, you know, some of these centrist commentators as a pretty spectacular performance. I mean, uh, I thought that that was uh, very helpful display of the current dynamics in the race where you have people like Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden attacking Medicare for all and using these same cynical arguments. I mean, there was a report out uh, recently that showed Joe Biden had partnered with this firm, uh, this centrist think tank Third Way, which has long pushed for Democrats to embrace this kind of Bill Clinton uh, Democratic Leadership Council style of uh, triangulation and centrist moderate politics uh, to do a survey to find out what will piss people off about Medicare for all. You know, how can we paint Medicare for all as unpopular? And what they found was we just talk about freedom. It's going to take away your freedom. It's going to take away. And it's the same thing that Rahm Emanuel has talked about as well. Well, uh, when people look at what their current healthcare situation is, when there's, uh, you know, 500,000 people um, I'm sorry, 500 million people going bankrupt every year because of medical debt. It's not exactly working for them. They don't have the freedom right now to, you know, be able to change jobs. Wait, hold on. Just back up for a second. I did not see this report. So I just want to make sure I'm understanding you correctly. I did not see this particular report. Are you saying that the report was uh, laying out a blueprint uh, for what Democrats should say to undercut the argument of Medicare for all. Um, so being it, it, was, it was, yeah, it was, in other words, it was like a, a political uh, campaign directive. It wasn't like policy. No, they was, weren't saying, oh, well, we, are, we study this, we analyze this, people are going to lose their freedom. They're gonna, they were saying, if you want to defeat this, this is the way you do yeah. it. I see. Yeah. It was a survey that was, I mean, you can read it. was, uh, I forget where Bloomberg might have published it. Um, but, uh, but it's out there. Yeah. Joe Biden's firm linked up with Third Way to do this survey strictly to undercut Medicare for all because they know that Medicare for all is popular, right? Because as you said, there's, you know, like 80% of Democrats like it. So it's very difficult for Joe Biden to stand on a stage and say, I don't want to do this, even though everybody likes it. So he has to put forward some counter to that. And he's not, it's not a compelling argument to say, hey, we want to have private health insurance. So instead, they're going to, and so they don't want to defend the for profit health insurance industry. Instead, what they want to say is Medicare for All is actually going to steal your health care. It's going to take away 150 million people's uh, health care. As if providing health care to everybody can be equated with, um, with taking it away. It's just, uh, it's madness when you think about it. But that's the only way that they've figured out right now to attack it. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. But I thought Bernie Sanders did a pretty good job of laying out the moral case for it. Um, and I think that, you know, Elizabeth Warren was defending it as well. So that, to me, showed where we're at right now. There's clearly progressives in the race that are, you know, occupying the energy in the race. They're certainly directing it all as if, you know, it's not like people, Joe Biden's proposals were being debated. It was all Bernie Sanders proposals that were being debated up there. Well, it's the interesting thing. Uh, Bernie got AOC's endorsement. And, uh, and and you were saying that some commentators were saying, well, that was lucky for Elizabeth Warren because that would taint her. Let's just draw it back. Uh, the current tactics of the Republican Party are to destroy any Democrat uh, who dares to stand up to them. And they're doing this to congressman. I don't know if you know Adam Schiff, uh, the congressman from Southern California who's leading the investigations uh, into uh, whistleblower gate right now is a very mainstream centrist Democrat. And if you follow us, he's by no means a um, AOC uh, progressive. And yet 
Trump's machine, propaganda machine, is hammering him and putting that label on him. So my advice to Democrats is just to, you know, stand up for what you believe in. You don't worry about what Donald Trump is going to say about you. He's going to say it no matter what you do. And They're going to paint Adam Schiff to be AOC. Then you know that this is not exactly, uh, you know, a fair and objective measure of who these politicians are. No, that's absurd. And I guarantee you, if Elizabeth Warren is the nominee, AOC is going to endorse her, you know, in the general election anyway. So, you know, Trump would have that same opportunity. It's not as if Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's endorsement right now is going to, you know, would be a you know, some kind of scarlet letter hanging around a nominee's neck. No, it's going to bring people out. Watch, you know, Bernie Sanders is going to have this event in um, New York on Saturday with her, and it's going to bring out tons of people because she is magnetic. You know, she's one of the most popular people in the Democratic Party right now, as I said, and she can, she's a fundraising uh, machine. You know, she can, she's going to help bring out more uh, funding into the campaign, and all these organizers are inspired by her, and she was inspired by Bernie Sanders. I mean, she got her start in 2016 by being an organizer for him and I think that that's it's just an expression of this political revolution people you know mock that and are like oh Bernie is always talking about political revolution well what it looks like is people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilan Omar that had never really run for office before getting involved in politics supporting things like a Green New Deal these massive you know uh, transformations of the economy in a progressive direction and uh, winning support and becoming these magnetic popular figures because of it like that and then being able to influence policy as well that's you know the whole debate around taxation changed once Ocasio-Cortez uh, was talking about a 70% marginal tax rate. I mean, that's a prime example of the way that politics shifts, and I think we're seeing it happen right now. And so it's an interesting um, development that now the, those forces are going to kind of combine in this presidential well, the campaign. Big, the big concern over Bernie uh, was his health and his age. We talked about this with uh, you, and Mal, uh, you, and Miles, uh, you and Micah a couple of weeks ago after he had the heart attack. It took him three days to admit it was a heart attack. Uh, There's a lot of concern on a lot of people's minds that maybe Bernie Sanders is too old to go uh, uh, into this race. And uh, so I get a kick out of this because I get this comment a lot. Uh, Miles, uh, you and uh, uh, Jeff Johnson, my next guest, are young. You don't get this comment, but a lot of times people see me and they go, oh, Ben, you look good, which is what people say to old people. <laughs> oh, you look good, Jeff. Nobody says that to Jeff Johnson. Uh, you know, and uh, so the, it, in that regard, the bar is kind of low with Bernie. People are just like, well, is Bernie going to get through this? What is it? Uh, he gets. Well, he speaks for maybe fifteen minutes in one of these debates. Yeah. That's but he's standing minutes. up there for a few hours. Yeah, he yeah. stood up there and he had that old bark, and yeah. uh, you know he had a couple counter punches. The medical marijuana joke was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, were you were you relieved by his performance? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's great. It's just, and I had that very you know uh, nice moment of grace. I think where he was thanking you know his fellow um, candidates for. Uh, sending them sending him their love and support throughout the uh, time he was in the hospital um, I thought clearly he's you know just as fit as ever to uh, run I mean it's fair to ha have health concerns I think that that's you know you could talk about people's age that's there's there's nothing wrong with that but then look at the whole field and you no, know man it was funny the lady the, the question I, I don't know the woman's name but she was like she knew she had to ask Bernie the question because yeah. he had the heart attack yeah. but then she flipped it and then she just started asking all the old people up yeah. there hey Biden what about you yeah. you know and then uh, Elizabeth Warren and then out of nowhere she turns to Tulsi Gabbard yeah. like 
like, Kelsey Cabbard is the fittest presidential candidate I've ever seen in the history. Of this. She's sur- I don't know if you know this, but she's big surfer. She's yeah. in incredible shape. Yeah. So they just, th- th- what about you? <laughs> what yeah. the heck? They're kind of like disguising the Bernie question. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Exactly. I mean, you know, it was on the tip of people's tongue. So I guess that they had to do it. But, you know, the way Bernie responded to that, he said, I'm fine. But let me, you know, talk about what Cory Booker had to say. I think that was a good uh, way to approach this is say, you know, that's it's okay we can talk about that but let's move on there we're running for president you know there's plenty of very important uh issues to discuss all right uh i got jeff johnson sitting on deck here i'm going to bring him on before i do uh can i let you escape the studio getting your thoughts on my beloved chicago bulls their season begins uh wednesday uh, so you won't be back until the season has already begun the season opens i believe in charlotte with the game mm-hmm. against the hornets that's right and uh so are you optimistic uh, as we head into the Chicago Bulls season. You know, I was on here uh, right before the Bears season started, and I made a very um, poor prediction about uh, yeah, all beating, you guys the, did. All beating you the Green Bay Packers. So I'm a little... <laughs> I, I'm slightly reticent to, uh, to go too wild, but look, this is the first time in a long time that the Chicago Bulls have got me excited for a season because of their uh, the, the the team that they've put together. And, you know, Jim Boylan, I gotta say, there was a point last year where I was just saying, you know, he's making these guys do suicide, you know, runs in the gym. Like, this is not gonna be, this is not gonna work out. The, the way this training camp and preseason has gone, looks like he, you know, has the faith of the team. He's got some vets now with uh, Thad Young and um, Otto Porter that clearly have bought into his system. So if they can do this thing where they're, you know, only holding the ball for like half a second and, and you know, having it fly around the whole court, then they could have a really fast offense. Kobe White's looking great. I'm, I'm, I'm hyped. You're hype. So, how many uh, how many wins do you uh, predict for the Bulls? What do we have? Twenty two last year. Twenty two wins last I, year. I think maybe forty five. Whoa, forty five for with miles that, with, with the eighth eighth or ninth seed. So we might make the playoffs, or we'll be just just out of there. All right, that's very my, good. That's well, I predicted the undefeated Bears season. I said they would be Super Bowl champs. Uh, so my uh, prognostication abilities are out the window. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you very much, Miles Complasson, in these times. And one more, just tell folks where they can get a hold of you. They want to get a hold of you yeah of course um uh, if you want to reach me it's miles at uh in these times.com you send me an email but also uh check out my work at in these times we're publishing tons of uh reporting on the teacher strike we have a new story up just i published right before i came over here by carrie Leiderson, straight from the picket line great uh piece me and micah are actually working on a story for another outlet you look out for that um but uh in these times.com check it out and follow me on twitter at, at miles k lassen so uh thanks y'all now right. if they want to get a hold of you let's give them that phone number uh, we'll save that for... Oh, you, you know, can get a hold of people by Twitter. Did you know that, D? Uh, I'm very Twitter uh, updated. All right, Miles, thank you very much. Jeff Johnson on deck. We're going to bring him on when we return. At Chicago Land Cremation Options, we are committed to listening, educating, and guiding your family through the cremation process. Whether it is time of death or when planning your wishes for the future, Chicago Land Cremation Options can accommodate you at an affordable price and with great dignity. Avoid funeral home costs with direct access to a crematory for a cremation. Chicagoland Cremation Options, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned business and operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Visit it at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. By the way, he gave me permission to touch him, all right?
Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. The union will say they need a nurse in every school. I agree. And we put it in writing in the contract in a way that ensures that it happens. The union will say that they want more support for students experiencing homelessness. We did that. We offered to put those additional supports in the contract. And here at City Hall, our Department of Housing and our Department of uh, Children and uh, Families and Support Services, we are making historic advances when it comes to affordable housing and dealing with homelessness. The union says it wants smaller class sizes memorialized in the contract. We agreed and offered more funds to reduce class sizes in high poverty schools along with an enforcement mechanism that will make it happen. So why don't we have a deal? The union has told the public repeatedly that the two issues we need to resolve are class size and staffing, and we have met their needs. But behind the scenes, they've continued to bring up additional bargaining issues that they say must be resolved before they can have a contract. For example, the union is still demanding to shorten instructional time by 30 minutes in the morning. We won't do that. We will not cheat our children out of instructional time. And I won't agree to any changes that do that. The union wants more money for teachers and staff on top of the generous offer that we have already put on the table. CTU isn't satisfied with the average teacher getting a 24% increase and every teacher getting at least a 16% increase over the life of the contract. On Friday, they proposed an additional $230 million in teacher pay over the life of the contract. All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, October 17th is moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions again for sponsoring this program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. Thursday, October 17th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, union man Jeff Johnson is with us, and we welcome back Cook County Commissioner and CTU member Brandon Johnson. And now your host... Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Jeff Johnson in the studio wearing his Broncos uh, colored shirt. I don't know how a guy from Chicago graduated from Lane Tech and become a Denver Broncos fan. but Just going all in right yeah, now. Yeah, like somehow it. or other. I like he it. Is. Just start out all in. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's how it's be today. We missed you. That's how it's going to be. It's go time. I remain a loyal Bears fan, even though they've made some of the dumbest decisions in the history of pro football. But whatever. I still bleed Chicago Bear, whatever is blue. Anyway, do you get an update for me? Absolutely, I do. Uh, Shout out to the Chicago Sun-Times. They are giving us live updates here uh, as the teacher strike is taking place. Uh, So we're going to read the updates here. This is about 1.41 p.m., not long ago here. Uh, It says here, the president of the Chicago Teachers Union says, well, it's Jesse Sharkey. He says, quote, it's very unlikely a deal will be reached today. While Jesse Sharkey said talks have been positive at a bargaining session between the city and union and Malcolm X College on the near west side, it was unlikely a deal would be reached tonight. That means school would likely not be in session Friday, but no official decision has been announced on whether classes will be canceled. Mm, all right, very good. I like the positive part about it. You know, I'm not one of these guys who likes to strike uh, Jeff Johnson. I'm a more get along with everybody kind of guy. So oh, of I, course <laughs> you are. Yeah, get along with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, you know, I always get a little uncomfortable when there's a strike. But uh, what's your advice as a, a longtime union guy when you see uh, teachers walking uh, the picket line? Uh, you know, uh, just to backtrack, I was walking uh, my dogs today and I saw a lady coming down the street in a red t-shirt and she was holding some signs and you know younger lady and i'm like you know what i go good luck and the look on her face you know it was madison and uh troop and the look on her face was you know kind of like wait what and i'm like no i just good luck and i go I, uh, recording secretary abw local nine and i fire department dispatcher right at the omc right there and uh so we talked for a while and so, like, you know, advice on that is, and we've, me and you have talked about it before, nobody wants to strike. You know, that's your last ditch effort. You know, if you've hit that wall and they're not budging, right? You know, your employer has this, you know, this is it. No. Um, it's the last tool in your toolbox uh, that you want to do, you know, public education and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and so advice, you know, it's interesting because, you know, once you draw that line in the sand and then you do strike, that's where that's like, like I said, last tool in the toolbox, because you draw that line in the sand and it's a matter of when do you come back to work? When does the employer cave? When do you cave? Who ends up winning a strike? You can always cut a deal, and both sides can win publicly, technically, right? You know, everybody comes out with their piece of paper. You know, <laughs> I, I, I always tell you, there's that political game. Yeah, that we got, you know. But in a strike, it's like, you know, line in the sand, who wins, who doesn't. And that always worries me. Uh, why so? Why do you say that? Just because you have an employer that per se might not cave. Or you have an employee union that doesn't want to cave. Mm-hmm. And you saw GM what 29 days 30 days finally agreement right yeah Yeah. they finally they reached an agreement um and uh, on a side note there was an actuary that wrote a story for forbes and the story starts out it was on twitter uh, and uh, the story starts out with uh, there's a proxy member who's a new york city trustee and one of the new york city pension funds that wants to use the new york city pension fund uh, money to lean on gm to cave for employees are you okay with that Goddamn right, I'm okay with that, right? Fair wages, good contracts, more local jobs, et cetera. Um, and so you go down this road of a strike, and you have, like, for that, it's a little different with a private company, but you have proxies leaning on the employer to strike. In a public teacher fund, uh, in a public teacher strike, it's the general public mm-hmm. that is the per se proxy. 
Yeah, you got to do a great job. And I know CTU has been out there really trying to tell, like, talk about what they're about. City's done a job to try and, like, talk about, like, wait, what we're offering them. And it, you know, it is an interesting environment when you have to win over the public Mm -hmm. for a strike. And I always say government workers aren't necessarily the best viewed in the public's eyes. And that's what always worries me is you go into this already kind of below. And teachers have done a great job, right? You know, teachers have always kind of separated themselves a little bit, right? You got the police and fire, which police and fire, which I always joke about the heroes, right? You know, hey, what are the heroes doing today? Just joking around. And then you got the <laughs> teachers kind of by themselves. Yeah. And then you got your government employees. And so that, I mean, it's an interesting dynamic with uh, the teacher strike. And you're seeing more nursing strikes happen. Um, Teachers, uh, teacher strikes have risen across since the original Karen Lewis, and I say Karen Lewis because that's what it's basically kind of defined as, the Karen Lewis versus Rom strike, and then the teachers um, strike, uh, you've seen them more nationally, mm-hmm. and there's been some good population, or some good, I said population, but there's some good uh, backing to them across the uh, nation, even in states that aren't necessarily union friendly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a story there where, you know, you have these teachers in poverty, which are teaching your kids, right? And, you know, so it's a matter of all trying to tie that in together. And, yeah, good luck. Well, you mentioned the uh, 2012 strike where Karen Lewis was leading the teachers union. Uh, I think it caught Rahm off guard, the amount of support the public gave the teachers then. Uh, What's your sense about the public support? You know, you're you're on a lot of fire uh, department employees. Back in 2012, I always point this out, Nick Spazzato, a firefighter and the alderman. Uh, back then, he was the alderman of the uh, 36. 30, no, no, 38. 38 and now Chris Terrafano. Yeah. Uh, uh, and um, so uh, he, he stood with the teachers. Yeah. Uh, what's your sense of where the public and the fire department is, uh, firefighters yeah, are now? Well, just we'll say city employees total. Or, yeah, you know, city like, employees, yeah. yeah. yeah we'll just go that route. Um, I think they support their union brothers and sisters um, right off the bat, right? Because that's your, you know, your go-to. Um, and the public aspect, I don't know. I, I, that's the one part, the public, I can't put my finger on, you know, CTUs try to do a good job of getting their word out there about, Hey, what we're about. And you always see the per se anti-union crowd going oh Yeah, whatever. You know, you know, you got your pay raises. What else do you want? And they just kick them in the shins on that, right? And, you know, class sizes, a, a teacher, a counselor, a nurse, uh, you know, uh, support services. And that gets lost in the shuffle sometimes in that argument. And, you know, just from a PR standpoint, I think that that's what would worry me, uh, you know, because people focus so much on the 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 pay raise. Mm-hmm. Well, your healthcare is also going up, uh, basically 1.52% over two or three years is what they're kind of advertising. And so your pay raise are going to get lost, but when they throw up the pay raise and, uh, for the uh, total agreement, um, I think overall city employees will be, uh, will back them. But you know, the city employees, I have always told you are kind of, you know, we're a finicky bunch as far <laughs> as, uh, you know, um, you know, how yeah. we feel at the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A finicky bunch. All right, let's, uh, move away from, from, uh, the team. We talked a lot about the teachers. I've been waiting to get to conversation with you about our favorite topic, pensions. Uh, Jeff Johnson and I are probably the only two people in the city of Chicago who love talking pensions. Exactly. Uh, although there's a few geeks out there who uh, appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, Governor Pritzker came out with a proposal for a pension yeah. consolidation. Uh, 
Jeff, explain how this impacts uh, taxpayers, pensioners, uh, and Chicago. Break it down a little bit for us. Ooh, uh, all right. So the most important part is the taxpayer. How does it affect taxpayers? Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the most important part, but we'll get to that in a minute because um, that's the funniest part of this. Uh, how it affects the city right now, nothing uh, because you know we have our own pension funds. We're larger uh, scale. We're larger scope. So for consolidation, it wouldn't help us at all wouldn't even you know have any impact on us for the members uh it's a lot of if uh, you are a uh oh jesus christ where are you from Alton, Illinois. I, I, yeah, I, I will get this. Alton, If you're a fireman in Alton, Illinois, you have yeah. your own pension fund, right? Mm-hmm. Your own benefits, your own. And this is your pension fund. It's your retirement, your safety, your security in elder age, your golden years. Mm-hmm. And so now you have a pension fund that might have, you know, a trustee or trustees. And now they're going to take that pension fund and put it in with Peru. Or they're going to put it in with East Peoria. You're going to get lumped together and you're going to be in a Illinois firefighters pension fund, mm-hmm. for example. And you're going to have uh, th- what the plan is to have a police pension fund and a firefighters pension fund, two pension funds. One's going to be roughly $11 billion. The other one's going to be $8 billion. And so you go from working in Alton and having pride in your city of Alton, which I know D does. um, And then all of a sudden you're kind of in this conglomerate pension fund. Now, how does it affect taxpayers? This is the best part of this. And I'm big on, I've told you before, politicians tend to like to do something and then hold up. We did something right here, the paper uh, flapping. Um, it doesn't change the funding one cent, right? If Alton is 35% funded, they get merged in with everything else. They are 35% funded. Uh, they're going to keep individual accounts for all these 670 different kind of agencies Mm -hmm. and the burden, whatever you want to call it, right? The, the, the fear catching words, chaos, burden, the liability is still on these cities individually and it doesn't change anything. Like last time I was here, I think I told you it was like putting perfume on a pig Yeah, and um, you still need to find funding ideas for these pension funds. And that's where, I mean, it, you can hold up a piece of paper and say I did something. But So what's the advantage? The advantage is what they're saying is for like uh, investment fees, stuff like this, that you can save some money. Where if it's a larger pool of uh, funds that you can save money. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done studies that anywhere from 11 to 22 years is what it will take to save the original upfront fees of putting this together. 11 to 22 years, uh, you know, low end, high end, um, as far as what it will save. And that's where things kind of, you start to go this way, right? It, it can be a good PR stunt. I say stunt, but it can be a good PR issue to, hey, we're, we did something on Illinois pensions because the taxpayers see that and go, okay, hey, they did something. Wow. Okay. They fixed it. And then when the fair tax comes, when marijuana, when all these things come online, hey, we got to put these sorts of pensions. I just fear the public going like, wait a minute, didn't you just fix them? Yeah, no, my goodness. That works against it. That's like the old uh, lottery. Yeah. 
and there's so many people my age and well even 50 and above they're like i thought the lottery was gonna solve this yeah, I what do you the, mean yeah, yeah i still hear that now yeah. yeah i thought the lottery we're gonna hear that for when marijuana sales yep. kick in uh, we're gonna hear that i've gotten a few phone calls i'm gonna bring some of you guys on i know you're listening uh from some uh police pension people yeah they want to come on the show and talk about it they're apprehensive and skeptical about it and uh well, you give up local control i mean that's where you know it's your pension fund you're giving up local control to somebody if you're in uh, alton and you're going to give up uh, control to somebody from tinley or you know it just it's your pension fund it's your livelihood you kind of want to have a say in it right you invest your money or you give money every day from the day you start as an employee mm-hmm. into your pension fund and you know it's you're giving it up your control to somebody else that would worry me. I mean, you know, ultimately in 30 years, we, we all might go like, oh, that was a great decision. Hey, it worked out perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of questions and it just seems to be like, uh, well, no, nope, I want this. We're doing it. Mm. Uh, you know. And that, and that uh, sort of puts people on the, on the defensive a yes. little bit. Oh, of course. Yeah. Uh, but again, this is just so everybody knows, this is a, a combining pooling pensions outside of the city of Chicago. Yeah, basically everything south of I-80, right? Okay. So, yeah, 670 funds south of I-80, Article 3, Article 4, police and fire funds that have over 5,000 residents, less than 500,000 residents. So it's that, basically, uh, most other cities. Well, as listeners to this show know, because uh, Jeff pointed this out about three months ago when we were discussing pensions, <laughs> our uh, police and fire pensions are going to be uh, fortified, supposedly, by a casino. Yes. Uh, and uh, In SB 777. Yes. Well, a bill that passed long before Mayor Lightfoot was mayor, long before uh, Governor Pritzker was governor. Yeah. Uh, this goes back, I think, Quinn was the governor. Am I right about that? Yeah. Quinn was... Uh, yeah. uh, Anyway, uh, so, all right, uh, in the meantime, it took a while. It looked as though Chicago was going to get a casino. And now I'm not quite certain what the situation is, uh, Jeff Johnson. Since the last time you were on the show, uh, Lori Lightfoot has trotted out this notion that a casino in Chicago would be owned by the city. I don't know. You, you, uh, I, see. And, and I like that. You, I you like it. Talk about that. Well, no, it's uh, the the reason that it got killed or never moved under daily because downstate want to give a casino to Chicago, right? You know, Chicago, you know, uh, for your out-of-state listeners that you might have, we have a reputation that some might say isn't necessarily the best. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what do you want to call it, right? Um, and a so, bad reputation. A bad reputation, right? And so downstate wouldn't want to give us a casino and let us run it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of the reason it kind of never moved. And then you have the other casinos outlying of uh, Chicago that are worried about losing their money. And so now the big dog in the uh, state now is Rivers in uh, Des Plaines formerly of Rosemont, but now ended up in Des Plaines. Um, And so the deal that came out originally was that, you know, they were going to have a, you know, it was going to be all profits split a third, you know, city, private owner and state. And then there was a study that came out and said that uh, a private owner wouldn't take on a casino if they couldn't make enough money. And then under this current deal, they're not going to make enough money. And then it came back out that like, well, how about we own the casino and we split it to Chicago and uh, the state and have a higher manager. Um, I think honestly, just from a revenue standpoint, that's a great idea. You know, um, I think you're catching some people off guard uh, with, uh, you know, you 
because you have to kind of back people into this conversation as far as, uh, you know, if you're a state rep from Alton, um, <laughs> you got to kind of back them into this conversation yeah. as far as like, all right, well, why it makes sense, you yeah. know? And I always say that, you know, there's a way there where if the state's getting increased contributions from a pension fund or from a casino, it's still helping the state out, even if you're seeing Rivers uh, um, Rivers or Elgin or some of their casinos take a little bit less in. Mm-hmm. But if the state's kicking the money in through the city casino, it all kind of equals out there, right? All Overall, it's a net win. And then you have all these uh, racinos mm-hmm. that are talking about coming on board. Um, I say all of them, but a few of them. Uh, Tinley Park was one that's been in the news lately. Um you know, you have all these slot machines that you can put around the state that are making more money too. And, um, which to be extremely honest, I've always found kind of weird, right? You know, when I, when I drive down to Springfield a lot, there's a stop. I always uh, stop and get gas in El Paso, Illinois. Cause I just kind of, first time I was driving out of Springfield, I found oh, it. I weird. didn't even know there was an El Paso, El Paso, Illinois. Illinois. Did you know that? No. Oh yeah. yeah. And it was just, so there's a gas station there's a gas station at McDonald's, All right? Whatever. So you go in and they have a, boarded off room with plywood and they didn't even bother to paint the plywood <laughs> uh, in this gro- in this gas station yeah. and there are seven slot machines in there and I've just found that just like every time I stop, I get my gas. I think it's exit 187 uh, down, uh, going down to I-55 El Paso uh, and um, I've never seen a single person in there and I, these slot machines that they're throwing up all over the state yeah. I, you know, um that amazes me, you know, from the get-go, but, and I think... Well, people just, I mean, you don't have the gambling bug, I don't think. I, I've had the gambling bug. It is a strong, powerful motivation, uh, Jeff. You just want to, you just want to chase that money. But I heard that you used to bet the ponies. Yes, I did. Uh, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, the gentleman that signed me in at the Sun-Times said that he taught you how to bet the ponies like 40 years ago. Is that right? Is Albert here today? Yeah. No, no, the, uh, a couple of weeks oh, ago. Okay. Yeah, 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 Last yeah. month, Albert. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Albert t- taught me that a long time. I taught time. him how to bet the ponies. <laughs> I go, what? Yeah, yeah it's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, so I had that. I know what it's... Um, when you're chasing a horse and I think... Now, we're going to tangent with a tangent. I think horse racing is more legit uh, than, than like, uh, the, the slots... Uh, riverboat gambling, oh. et cetera. So, because the total house is against you. The whole thing is mm-hmm. set up to make you lose. Uh, so, I maybe I'm just biased because it's my particular. Uh, I wish you would have told me that earlier. I ordered slot machines for the studio. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to VL limit, baby. <laughs> That's how we're going to finance the show. Yeah, exactly. Jeff, Jeff Johnson, the live stream is going back and forth. They're wondering, Steven, Kyle, they're all wondering, where are you? They're hearing your accent. Where are you from? Where oh, am I from? Oh, they're going to piss me off now. <laughs> <laughs> they're going, they're wondering if you're from the suburbs, if you're from the city, oh. or if you're from what part, where are you, you know, what part of, uh, you know, they're hearing the accent. They're wondering where you're from. He's the, can I say where he's from? The pride Jesus. and joy of Lane Tech High School. Yeah, city of Chicago, born and raised, Elston and Belmont. There you go. Yeah. There you go, I'm, live stream. I'm talking kind of soft, but yeah, Jesus Christ. Oh, they like you. They like city you. City of Chicago. He's yeah. a Chicago I'm going to speak up a little louder. Born and raised, city of Chicago, uh, Walt Disney Magnet uh, for elementary school, Lane Tech for uh, high school. Got my uh, associates at the city of Chicago uh, Fire Academy uh, for fire science. Uh, got hired at the city when I was 20, and uh, yeah, city of Chicago. 
Chicago. 20 years old. Good God. And well, I, yeah, I'm one of the last, I say I'm one of the last because you saw a lot of kids that got hired when they were 20 at the city for different various city departments. Yeah. Now you're seeing a lot of older people with, you know, and like when the recession kind of hit in 08, 09, you, know, you saw a lot of people trying to go in, uh, you know, it was a government job more, even though city workers took their hits under uh, when the economy tanked. But yeah, and you don't see too many kids getting hired at 20 now. Well, I just had a, a dear friend of mine's son. Uh, Houston, if you're listening, uh, congratulations at age 31, I want to say. He just got accepted. He's going to be uh, a cadet at the Police Training Academy. Uh, God bless him. Uh, God bless him, Houston. I, lo- I, lo- I love my police officers, but why, why would you be a police officer nowadays, though? Uh, that, I mean... Oh, that's just that's a whole nother that's this is a, a whole other story yeah. right there i some people want to do it that's their dream my, you know? houston has wanted to do this for a long time and and there was a freeze uh yeah. waiting forever to get there so i had a buddy tell me uh, his 36 year old cousin who was an auto mechanic making good money as an auto mechanic just got fed up with auto mechanic and now is graduating gra- uh, graduating or in the middle the police academy now listen uh, police, it's, there's nothing new about the demanding challenges of being a police officer yeah. uh, in any city. There's nothing new about that, Jeff. It was true when you were a young scholar at Lane Tech back in the 90s. It was a street Sco- scholar. young scholar. Uh, young Jeff Johnson <laughs> studying. Oh. Yeah, he's studious. Oh. Studying his algebra. And now he's in charge. Yeah. Like, he knows pensions. Can yeah, you imagine? Exactly. There's math teachers at Lane yeah. Tech going, this guy's running the pension thing? This mope? Uh, but so it's always been a challenging position. Yeah. And yet, I'm going to I'm going to tell you what's good about it. One, the pay is good. Two, you get pensions. Three, you get a good health care. Uh, what, what are you pointing Give at? Give me your sometimes. My beloved uh, bright one. Half of it. Uh, go ahead. Keep and, talking. Uh, and so there's and then it's a very important job. Uh, so I understand why kids want to be yeah. uh, police officers. And so, really uh, do. Yeah, I read the uh, Sun-Times every day. I've been doing it since I was literally in high school, right? Okay. My grandfather got the Sun-Times. I used to have to run down. Oh, I know. The, you uh, got to read that yeah. article by, oh boy, the lawyer. Who would ever, ever want, want to, to be, be a cop? cop? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, so you see that. And the article goes off on a tangent, I'll be honest. There's part of it that you're like, eh, okay, I don't know if I could support this or not, right? Um, but no, the climate now, and we need police. But you say, right, you know, pay is good. Okay, here's fifty thousand dollars, right? Twenty five bucks an hour to start out to be a Chicago police officer. But is that life. what the starting? Yeah, uh, I think it's forty seven thousand dollars. Okay, here's, so it's, for, here's it's 40, less than a teacher would get. I think teachers are fifty one. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, don't quote me either. Right, right, okay. right? But the the, 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 the argument's always like two year degree versus four year degree. I pay for it in uh, schooling, et cetera. Um, but yeah, here's forty seven thousand dollars. You'd be working uh, midnights in a not safe part of the city, right? And it, you know, it's the you know, does that make it easier or anything like this? There's pros to it, but there's some people that really want to do there the job. There you go. Now you're hitting it on the head, yeah, Jeff Johnson. You know the guys that want to be cops. that want to do it, yes. right? And I'd like to think, and this, yeah, but this is a whole other tangent you go down with, like, you know, the good good versus bad, right? I And I think that overwhelmingly high majority, and I know a lot of police officers, I know some of the police trustees that are on the police pension fund, and they got into it for the right reasons. Right. And you can uh, they could make twenty dollars an hour or twenty and twenty thousand dollars a year and they'd still do their job because it's something they like. And then you get some knuckleheads, but you have knuckleheads in any profession. Absolutely. If you work at Chipotle, there's knuckleheads that work there. Yeah, so. the difference yeah. is that the knuckleheads in the police department have a gun. That's yes. a little scary. And the knuckleheads yeah. at Chipotle may not have guns, but I they understand. my burrito, though. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I understand why. Uh, 
uh, so many kids who grew up in Chicago want to be police officers or firefighters. I know a lot of kids I coach are firefighter. They want to be firefighters. They want the action, the challenge, the, the, uh, you're, you're, you're in shape. Uh, and then when you get the job, they like the benefits, the, I'm talking about a firefighter job, the time off stuff. Yeah. So, uh, I understand the attraction to it. But no, I, I, this goes, and I think we've, we, me and you've had conversations about it. I wear a Chicago uh, flag lapel pin everywhere I go, uh, every conference I go to, every, everywhere I'm at. And I had a conversation with somebody from Seattle actually last night, and he didn't know what the flag was. He goes, oh, what's that? And I was like, I was a little like, what do you mean? What, what's what? And he goes, the flag. And I go, are you kidding me? And I was a little kind of like, <laughs> like offended almost. I'm like, are you kidding me? Wait, yeah. What do you mean? And it's a pride thing. You know, I am extremely pride of, proud of Chicago. And I'm waiting for that one jerk to ask why, right? You know, why are you proud of Chicago? And I'm punching him in the mouth. <laughs> um, and, uh, but no, it's a pride thing. And so people that get city jobs, it's a pride thing in your city. You know, you take care of your city. Uh, so today they were doing street sweeping down my block. And I was out there with a hose, like a 90-year-old woman, uh, spraying down the sidewalk, yeah. you know, just getting the leaves off, and the cigarette butts, everything. And the street sweeper came by. And the street sweepers are actually in my pension fund. And so flag them down. You know, I see him coming down the block. It just happened to be out there. I was spraying off everything. And, you know, and he stops. I'm like, hey, I just wanted you to know I'm trying to make everything. He goes, I appreciate that. And always oh, same, Jeff Johnson, you know, and then I introduced myself. Oh, okay, all right, whatever. He went down the block four times because there's some uh, construction going on across the street. And I'm like, dude, he just had to, I was just stopping you to say hi or whatever. And he goes, no, he goes, I take pride in my work. He goes, I go down these streets. I want to make sure that they're clean. I was like, All right. now that's the city worker you want. That's somebody that's proud in the city. And it's things like that, that, you know, like, you know, when people go into these jobs, it's not because of the pay, it's not because of the benefits. It's not, you know, that's just a byproduct for a lot of people as far as having a good job and doing something you like for a employer that you respect and, uh, you know, to be respected as an employee of your city. So, yeah, well, yeah. I, and I can appreciate all that. And I also know that, uh, uh, in, in terms of police officers and firefighters, uh, if you go into any kindergarten class or first grade class, pretty much anywhere, and you ask somebody, the kids, uh, <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, of course. Way more will raise their hand and say firefighter than reporter. Okay? I don't know, man. <laughs> You're never going to see it. I want to be a reporter like Ben. I never heard anybody say uh, that. But yet again, I mean, uh, every, every time I walk in here uh, to do the show, <laughs> yeah. I always walk around the floor. Talk to Sam Charles. Yeah. Talk to you know. St stop the guys. Hey, what's going on? And there's a steady line of employees coming in there because they like doing the same thing. They have pride in their work. Yeah, you know. The sometimes reporters are some of the best. I yeah. love my Tribune reporters. Uh, um, even though Hal Dardick uh, hit us with a piece uh, two weeks ago. Which one was that? I can't. I, I uh, Rom raised taxes one point six billion, but pension unfunded liability went up seven billion. Oh, I saw that one. Yeah. Was that not accurate? It's a little, how should I say? And it's, I mean, you know, I love Hal. Hal, if you listen to this, I do love you. A um, little misleading. You know, um, uh, the uh, financials of like, we didn't hit our marks last year, but other pension funds are. Uh, city of Chicago and pension funds are on the calendar year, January 1st to December 31st. Mm -hmm. Basically, every other city in the country is on a fiscal year, June to June. So New York City got 6.4% for 2018 fiscal year. 
for 2018, we were minus 4%. So I've had people ask me like, well, how did New York get 6%? Why'd you only get minus four? What'd you do differently? If we were on a fiscal year, June, because fourth quarter screwed everybody up. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were on June to June, we would have been right in there. Yeah. Um, and then the other aspect of, well, you, uh, you altered your mortality tables. Well, yes, people are living longer now, so they're going to get more pension. But most actuaries will actually acknowledge that maybe we've gone a little too far with people, you know, like living like a little longer. Like we don't think it's actually that long. And then when we re-advise it or when we reevaluate it, it's going to drop down. Mm-hmm. The unfunded liability go down. And the, the whole thing about it is liability. It's a liability, right? You don't know. It, it, that's if the city went out of business tomorrow. Mm-hmm. The city's never going to go out of business tomorrow, right? It, Let's it, hope. Well, yeah. Well, governments go on. Yeah. Right? Governments go on. And so out of the $16 billion unfunded liability that the number keeps always getting uh, thrown out there, $5 billion of that is of active employees. When they hire you on day one, they calculate kind of what your pension would be if you work at, you know, 27 years and et cetera, et cetera. And that $3 million, for example, if you don't have that in a savings account, now it's an unfunded liability the day they hire you. Mm. And that's unfair. You know, it's uh, something that, you know, but it's Gatsby. Gatsby got very conservative under some uh, uh, conservative leadership uh, presidents. And that's what we, uh, that's the song that we dance to. All right. Uh, and, you know, maybe we'll, uh, there's, I, I told you just before we went on the air, uh, there's uh, someone from the uh, police pension uh, who wants to come on the show with you. Everybody wants to come on a show with Jeff Johnson. Maybe we get Hal Dardick to come on the show with you. And we'll have a nice little interesting Oh, uh, me and him start slugging it out in the <laughs> corner over there. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, he actually had some nice things to say about the show. So maybe I should reach out to him and bring him on the show. Uh, Hal Dardick, Jeff Johnson. I guess we're going to take a break. We'll be right back after this. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. The same goals that we have in the contract currently is what they put in writing. That's insufficient. Number two, the same class size committee that's currently in the contract is what she put in writing. That's insufficient. The set, and they have not committed a dollar amount to lowering class sizes. There are 1,300 oversized classrooms in the city of Chicago right now. If you go on the south side to Chatham, there are almost 40 students in a, a kindergarten classroom. If you go to the 10th ward on the southeast side of town, you can go in a classroom with 36 kids in a, a kindergarten classroom. And you know what's even more offensive this morning is that they have nurses coming into our schools on tomorrow to be with students, but she cannot put a nursing ratio in a contract. This is not a joke, people. This team, our team of 40, we have been asking, begging, organizing, demanding the same things for the last 10 years. And she should know because her team, her campaign team, copy and pasted every single demand that we've put forth for the last 10 years into a campaign platform. She has given speech after speech about resourcing neighborhood schools, providing nurses and librarians, and yet we're standing here talking about a mayor who knew it was her job when she ran to be mayor, knew it was her job to transform the Chicago public schools, 
so she can put a nurse in a classroom in the school building when it's empty but can't put one in there when it's full of students. Next question. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Cook County Board Commissioner Brandon Johnson has joined us. Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson has joined us. He's also a proud member of the Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, when I met him, he was an organizer for the Chicago Teachers Union. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll be talking Chicago Teachers Union strikes, uh, what the future is for public education in the city of Chicago, et cetera, and so forth with Brandon Johnson. He also wants to talk about baseball. <laughs> uh, always. I th- <laughs> always wants to talk about <laughs> So before I let the other Johnson go, Jeff Johnson, any last thoughts before I let you go and bring on Brandon? No, just, uh, you know, good luck to CTU, and I hope that works out in their favor as far as uh, the strike. You know, like I said, you always want to go, that's last resort, and you draw that line in the sand. It's just a matter of, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, they come to the table. And I personally, I think it's a short strike. I I think that this is kind of uh, settled up pretty quickly just because there's so much to lose, you know, um, uh, more so from the employer aspect of things. So, and I just wish them good luck and, uh, you know, hang, hang in there, you know. All right. Very good, Jeff Johnson. Now, the next time you come in, we'll, we have plenty of budget uh, conversation to no, talk about. We didn't even times. get to that. Yeah, yeah, we didn't even get to that. We didn't yeah. even get to that today. And hopefully uh, those slot machines will be coming in And those slot machines will be sitting there. I'll be playing them in a the corner while the show's going on. Yeah. All right. Very good, Jeff Johnson. Brandon, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks, Ben, for having me. Jeff Johnson has to be the best dressed guest. Today, no, he is. By <laughs> far. Yeah. You should see the jacket. Which I saw it. Oh, you saw it? Yeah. I peeped it when I walked in. I'm like, okay, this is what we're doing today. Yeah, no, he ups the game. And he's got his... I don't know if you know this, Denver Broncos uh, colors. I was wondering what the color was about, so that actually explains a few things. I, I, exactly. I don't know how a guy from Lane Tech uh, is a Denver Bronco fan. Misguided youth. Yeah, misguided youth. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Uh, I bleed uh, bears blue or whatever it is, uh, and bulls red. All right, uh, Brandon Johnson, uh, let's get an update. While we're in here, have they settled the strike? No, uh, we have not reached an agreement yet. We're obviously still in the process of negotiating. Um, there is some movement. You know, unfortunately, it takes um, a job action for um, the employer um, to take our demand seriously. So there's been some movement. So I can report uh, that the Chicago Public Schools has finally uh, released something in writing for us to respond to around class size. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, what they have presented is uh, is all favorable, but it is certainly a step in the right direction. So our movement today obviously is a direct result of the job action, not just by the Chicago Teachers Union, of course, SEIU Local 73. Mm-hmm. So you got red and purple holding it strong um, in the city of Chicago. Yeah, uh, let's talk about that. The Park District uh, settled their contract uh, negotiations with uh, the um, the mayor yesterday, I want to say. I'm losing track of time, Brandon. Uh, the cynic in me, which is always uh, out there, uh, I was a little surprised by that. I thought there would be solidarity across the board throughout the strike just to put more pressure on Lori Lightfoot. Um, so am I wrong to be cynical and think that this was uh, done just to make sure that the kids would have somewhere to go to and so there'd be less pressure on Lori Lightfoot? Yeah, I can't speak to you know anyone's political motives. All I can say is that the whole purpose of this moment is to secure economic, racial, and social justice for the city of Chicago. So, you know, something that strikes me, you know, in this moment, and Ben, we've had, you know, these conversations about, um, you know, our current situation, the, the mayor of Chicago, and I don't think it's a surprise to her, at least it shouldn't be, that she inherited a corrupt system. 
She, she, she should have known that. Um, and the history of Chicago when it comes to public schools, um, and this goes way back when, right? One of my, you know, heroes, Al Raby, who taught in Marshall High School that helped provoke um, a walkout in Chicago public schools led to a massive boycott with parents and teachers collaborating together to resist segregation and to resist, you know, a system that wasn't paying attention and properly resourcing um, schools and particularly black schools in Chicago. And so, we, you know, we fast forward and, and we know the history, of course, when Mayor Daley um, took control of the public schools, uh, worked with Republicans the one time that they were in charge or that brief moment where they controlled every aspect of our government, the Mayor Daley worked with Republicans to essentially um, create a scenario that, that we're living in right now. Um, what's interesting, though, is that the one of the senators, of course, that voted against that effort um, is now the board president, um, Devaye, who predicted that by re- giving the control of Chicago Public Schools over to the hands of the mayor would lead to this type of disaster. And so she knew that going in. So that's why it was important for her, obviously, to run on a platform that, quite frankly, we have been pushing in earnest the last 10 years. A social worker, a counselor librarian, class sizes that are manageable, every single school, fighting for equity. That was her platform. She literally took um, our entire agenda, the Chicago Teachers Union, and made it a part of her education platform. And so she made those promises. People voted for her uh, because they were confident that she would right wrongs of the past. And so now that she is in this governance status, Um, Of course, it has been disappointing, to say the least, that she has not been willing to commit herself to putting the promises that she made on the campaign trail in writing. To do something that no other mayor has been able to do. What an incredible position to be in, especially when you run in a platform calling for transformation. And I certainly know what that's like because that's what I did. And the constituents that voted for me a few months ago, they expect me to deliver um, on those commitments that I made. That's what leadership is. Mm -hmm. And that's a reasonable expectation. The last thing that I'll say is though, is that today at the negotiating table, you had educators talking. So the only conclusion that I can come to is that when politicians get out of the way, get out of the way, when lawyers get out of the way, educators can talk about their real experiences. Wait, who is at the bargaining table? So obviously our folks, our 40 member bargaining team, which is made up of our rank and file members. We also have folks in leadership, like our president, Jesse Sharkey, our vice president, uh, Stacey Davis-Gates, both, of course, were social studies teachers uh, when they were in the classroom. Our bargaining unit is made up of rank-and-file members, paraprofessionals, nurses, the handful that, few that we have. And then on the city side, um, you had um, their educators, their education team. So Dr. Latanya McDade, I'm not sure she's a doctor. I just gave her a promotion, perhaps. <laughs> or, more, or more student debt. I don't know, but uh, uh, McDade. And so you had individuals who have been in the classroom. And those experiences were shared today. And so that's why we finally received at least something in writing regarding how do we address class size. So the lawyers weren't there? The lawyers and the politicians had a chance to take a breather. So, they, so your, your guy is Block and their guy is, oh boy, Franchick. So those two guys like were playing cards in the back room or something like that? You know, I'm not able to disclose like how they handle their free time when educators are actually doing their jobs. <laughs> Uh, to secure justice for children. But it does really emphasize like why it's important that we have an elected representative school board. You know, Stacy's a parent, Jesse's a parent. You know, my kids got up this morning, I'm a parent. They were in their red t-shirts. You actually experience movement today when not just educators, but parents were at the table. Mm -hmm. 
providing real anecdotal evidence of what it means to have a school system that is just and equitable. That shouldn't be a, a, a privilege for a handful of folks. We need to open up the table. And the best way to, sh- uh, to, to ensure that parents are at the table, to have an elected representative school board, mm-hmm. where, where someone's political future, who wants to be mayor of Chicago, doesn't rest or it, it doesn't become limited in a negotiation over something so important, which are our schools. And so Mayor Lightfoot taking a step back, other folks taking a step back and allowing parents and teachers to actually have a real discourse around what it means to have a class size that's manageable. We finally got some movement on it. All right, now before we get into the a little, take a little deeper dive on the, what the movement is and what it means, uh, let's talk about a, a, a theme that's out there and it's been put out there for quite a while. I've been reading it uh, in the Tribune. Uh, I've been reading it uh, in uh, other papers. I'm not sure the Sun-Times has been hammering this one, uh, but I've been hearing it from Lori Lightfoot supporters, and it goes like this. The Chicago Teachers Union was never serious about coming to accord uh, with Mayor Lori Lightfoot. They wanted to prove to Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, that they were a presence that she had uh, to respect, and this is a direct a result of the trouncing uh, that uh, Tony Perkwinkle took in the mayor's race of uh, April in which you ran one-on-one against uh, Lori Life. What's your response? I know you know that theme's out there. I'm sure you've probably heard it yourself. So what's your response to that? Yeah. You know, look, Ben, when you have a person who runs on a platform that reflects our values, who agrees with everything that we have put forward, it shouldn't take a strike for for the administration to finally put in writing at least a counter proposal to what we've been talking about. This notion that somehow individuals have decided to forego a paycheck over an endorsement, that is, that response, or at least that um, the frame that is out there, it has to be one of the most um, puerile um, presentations that I've heard in a long time. It's just, it's just immature, it's irresponsible to suggest that somehow that there is some sort of grudge match, you know, um, in the midst of, of, of this challenge, this challenge that again, we've all known that it's been there. And for the mayor of Chicago to be in a very unique position to do something that no other mayor has been willing to do. You would think that her advisors or just herself would sprint to the front to be the mayor to finally deliver equity for the city of Chicago, one of the most segregated cities in our entire country, but also been one of the wealthiest places in all of the world, right here in Chicago, to, to, to set us up for a new direction, a, a new course for how we administer justice, not just for our education system, but, but as you know, Ben, this is also about our communities and our neighborhoods. When we're experiencing the type of violence that we've experienced in this city, why not demand a social worker? That's reasonable. I mean, everybody knows that's reasonable. And so what the Tribune, of course, has to do, or other people who frame it that way, they have to make this about some sort of grudge match. What I will say, though, it is very political. These are political problems. When, when you can settle a contract for, um, for developers, for a playground, in one of the wealthiest communities in the entire country, 
I'm sure there's going to be some pretty nice things there. But you can settle a contract for a couple billion dollars for the wealthiest folks to have somewhere to go and play. But you have schools in Chicago that do not have a nurse, a social worker, and a class size cap that allows for education to actually be executed in the best possible way. There's something wrong with that political system. And why not teachers? Why not paraprofessionals? I mean, isn't, what, isn't that the movement? The working class movement that's pushing the political system to be more responsible to the individuals who actually make up our communities? That's a reasonable expectation. So I know that narrative is out there. It's, it's one that allows for um, the type of, um, I guess, apparatus to have a, um, you know, some contentious um, debate around something that is just ridiculous. I mean, what was the, the turnout for, for, for voting in the last election? I mean, 34 yeah. percent i want to don't quote me to see no. 33 34 35 right. one that's or the right. other that's right yeah low 30s mm-hmm. you know so you had 70 percent of the city of chicago didn't weigh in on this election no one should go into elected leadership believing that you have a mandate and and not deliver <laughs> on that mandate like if you truly truly believe that you have a mandate, even though 70% of the city that d- did not vote, then behave like it, act like it, do it, put it in writing. And the reason why I'm hopeful, Ben, is because I'm looking at a city right now that has poured in so much support for this moment. People all over the country, you have five presidential candidates who are tweeting saying yes, yes to a social worker. <laughs> You have presidential <laughs> candidates saying yes to a nurse every single day in the school. Nothing too radical. Like, not even by Bernie Sanders standards, right? Nothing too radical. But, but the fact that there is overwhelming support for the ideas that we have been pushing for the last 10 years, support, by the way, that we received from the mayor of Chicago, who ran on it. Let's get it done. All right, let's get it done indeed. Brandon Johnson is my guest, Chicago Teachers Union, Cook County Board Commissioner. I will take a break, come back with more talk about the teachers, the mayor, and politics in general. Be right back with Brandon. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey, Chicago Sun-Times podcast listeners. You looking for another podcast to love like this one? Because I know you love this one. We have just the story for you. TJ Jimenez was a 13-year-old kid in Chicago when he was arrested for a murder he swore he didn't commit. He went to prison, still a child, still defending his innocence. 17 years later, he was acquitted, released, and given $25 million. What happens next is an incredible, unimaginable series of events, including the formation of a super gang, a shooting, and TJ's return. Turn Trip to Prison. Discover TJ's story on Motive. It's a new podcast from WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times. You can listen and subscribe now at suntimes.com forward slash motive.
Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. Okay, we'll do Brandon Johnson in the studio with me, uh, Chicago Teacher Union. Used to be an organizer for that. What's your connection with the Teachers Union these days? You know, I don't know what my title is anymore, Ben. I think the best way I can describe it is this is my little shot to get in the baseball conversation i'm like a short <laughs> you know you have like a short center field yeah you know that person who plays right behind right. the infield and right in front of the outfielder yeah that's kind of what i do for, i see for the okay CTU. i just I, I i get it when the infielders can't get it and i get it when the outfielders can't get it all right very good well that that sounds like a that's a lot to put on a business card but uh get it when the infielders can't get it or the outfielders can't get it and he's also cook county board commissioner he was elected uh last november i want to say uh the big race was, of course in march the primary uh, all right. And uh, Brandon, uh, speaking of which, uh, let's say so the teachers have been out for not even a full day. Um, and what uh, what's been the response of your fellow elected officials? Uh, you know, generally when there's a teacher strike, uh, this goes back in time when um, Mayor Washington was the mayor, Mayor Daly first, uh, Daddy Daly was the mayor. Uh, and then the last teacher strike, a lot of elected officials, a little nervous. They don't want to offend an all-powerful mayor. 2012, it's hard to find many aldermen that would uh, stand with the teachers against Mayor Rahm. So what's uh, what? let's fast forward today. Uh, what, what's the feedback you're getting from your fellow elected officials? Yeah, many of our elected officials are standing in complete solidarity with CTU Local 1 and SEIU Local 73. It's a much different political environment. And that has a lot to do with the organizing that we've been doing for the last 10 years and really pushing that political space to actually be responsive to the working class families of Chicago and quite frankly, all of Illinois. You know, so you're right. You know, back in 2012, you had the Black Caucus, the Latinx Caucus. They wrote op-eds against us. You had pastors writing op-eds against us. Um, we don't have that today. Many of the state legislators have signed on to a letter of support um, that will be released to the mayor, I believe, tomorrow, if it hasn't already. Um, the Cook County Board of Commissioners, um, with some some help and some leadership from a couple of my, a couple of my colleagues, have put together a letter of support saying support the children of Cook County. And that letter will be delivered um, at some point today or, or tomorrow. Um, there are aldermen, of course, who have been elected because of this platform. Um, they have signed on, and that's the right thing to do. Our wards win. Our representative districts win. Our legislative districts win. Our county districts win when there is a nurse in every single school, mm -hmm. right, every day. Um, and, you know, the, sort of the fear and trepidation that people have had politically and historically in this city, quite frankly, has crippled and has caused tremendous disaster in our neighborhoods. It's been that type of lack of courage that has decimated the very existence of many of our communities. I live in Austin. It used to be the largest community in the entire city. It's now second to where Rahm Emanuel lives. That's not a coincidence. That has everything to do with the disinvestment, the concentration of poverty that exists in the community that I, that, that I not only live in, but I represent. And so there is far more urgency um, that has propelled elected officials to be more responsive um, to the needs of working class families. If I can be very transparent here, sometimes elected leaders are afraid to lead because they are afraid of losing. But we have to have a different political <laughs> What do you mean by that? Afraid to lead because yeah. they're afraid to lose. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So historically, a lot of the power has been concentrated into a couple of offices. Of course, you have the mayor of Chicago being a very powerful position that controlled and dictated where resources would go. But it also controlled like where campaign finances would go. 
and you didn't want to be a target by the mayor of Chicago if you went against their agenda. And so now there is a, a, a space that is developing, and you're seeing this with the UWF here in Chicago, United Working Families, where there's a place where progressive and left candidates who support the interest of working class families, black, brown, white, Northside, Rogers Park, Roseland, and everybody else in between, that if you actually step out and lead, step out with some courage, that even if you were to take a political hit for doing that, that the working class families in, in your community, they'll have your back. And that's what we've demonstrated. That's how Jeanette Taylor gets elected. That's how I get elected. Byron Sigcho Lopez, Lopez, that's how he gets elected. And go on and on, where you now have several democratic socialists who are serving on the city council. You got good folks on the county board of commissioners. You got folks in Springfield now that have been bold um, in their approach towards how we actually transform um, the lives of people. And the political response that we're seeing right now has a lot to do with our ability to demonstrate that we can win when we stand up to powerful forces. We can win when we stick, stick together, of course. Um, and that's encouraging. And if you're not on the right side of this issue, there are some elected officials that recognize that if they're not on the right side, right side of this issue, they're gonna have problems. And it's not about like someone coming after your office, right? It's not about that. But you're gonna have problems um, being able to deliver goods and services to your community. When you don't lead, that's how schools close. And when you don't lead, that's how mental health clinics close. When you don't lead, this is how you end up with communities that have unemployment that has reached Great Depression era numbers. When you don't lead, you have pervasive violence that grips um, the life out of, out of people who are just trying to survive mm -hmm. when you don't lead. But when you do lead, you have a moment like today where a system that has been morally bankrupt and corrupt over generations is now saying, you know what, we gotta do something about stuffing a bunch of kids in a classroom. That was the fight that Al Raby led a generation yeah, ago. Yeah, no, it, uh, I, I must concede, it's a, a first, I cannot recall, a teacher strike over class size or a teacher strike over wraparound employees like nurses and social workers and librarians. I've lived through a lot of teacher strikes in the city of Chicago, and usually uh, they're about wages. And what's interesting about uh, this current uh, strike is that Lori Lightfoot led with the raise. All right. She said, we're going to give you a generous raise. And the editorial boards of both downtown papers said, take the raise, teachers, take the raise. And Tribune was saying, take the raise or she'll pull it from you. Knock you over the head, beat you up, take you in the alley, et cetera, and so forth. And the teachers are still going. I've never seen a situation like this, Brandon. It's also illegal. I should point this out. The law that you just alluded to a little while ago uh, that was passed to benefit Mayor Richard M. Daly, Baby Daly, the Daly that ruled in the 90s uh, that Miguel Devaya voted against, irony of ironies, was the, is the very law uh, that... Uh, keeps teachers in Chicago from bargaining about class size or bargaining uh, about nurses or social workers, et cetera. I think that the only uh, collective bargaining unit in the state that has that uh, limitation. So that's like a Trump card. 
you know what I mean? Like that Lori Lightfoot has over to teachers. Like if it gets really contentious, she may to send her lawyers in the court and say, all right, Stacey Davis Gates, you think you're so bad? How about going to county jail? Or, you know, we're going to throw you in jail. for." I hope it doesn't come to that, Brandon Johnson. I don't believe it'll come to that. If, if what you're saying is true, that they were making a movement today and maybe over the weekend they'll cut a deal, which will be announced on Monday, et cetera, and so forth. But that's the reality. That the teachers are striking over something that is a little foreign to most observers. We don't get, like, most, most of the, the press corps are kind of cynical and jaded, like, wait, they offered you some money. Why don't you just take the money? Yeah, and look, there are some financial things that, of course, that we are still holding out for. I, mean, I want to be clear about that. We have some of the lowest paid workers within our bargaining unit, as well as Local 73. Mm-hmm. Where you have individuals who, you know, are making, you know, 30000 bucks a year, and that's before taxes, if not less. Uh, they have to raise a family in Chicago afford. That's just, just not, it's not acceptable. But there are some things, of course, that we're fighting for, Ben. And they were very clear about that. And having social workers and nurses and class size that are manageable, man, that's, that's, um, it's reasonable. I got a chance to um, speak at one of the schools in my district um, on the Indigenous Peoples Day on Monday. And uh, I was in Oak Park River Forest High School and had a chance to talk to the civics class. And I said, hey, do you guys have nurses, social workers, counselors, and what class sizes? They were like, absolutely. And so in my district, you know, just a couple of miles from one another, where the students on one side of Austin have three public libraries in the in the dish, in the in the entire city. Uh, every single school has a librarian. You know, every school has a you know a social worker, nurse, and class sizes that are manageable. And just a couple of miles, like in Garfield Park, where that part of my district has been described as a developing nation, because the poverty and the violence per capita um, is akin to that of a developing nation. And so, we got a chance to get it right. And so teachers, of course, other staff, support staff, they're taking a, an incredible risk. But, but why not do it now? Like, why wait? Let's invest in today for today and allow that to ring true for generations to come. Let this set us up for the next set of fights that we have to have because she's going to have them, right? She she's got mayor the like mayor. That. Yeah, she's got other challenges that she has to face. Why not have partners of the working class folks in this city? Well, Brandon, that's something I don't understand. Maybe you can help me here. Uh, mayor Lori Lightfoot was elected in April. Uh, we are in October. I know that uh, the Chicago Teachers Union supported Tony Preckwinkle. I know that. Really hard. I feel you, you supported her too hard. Uh, I'm not sure Tony Preckwinkle warranted all the good love you poured on her, but that's water under the bridge. I, uh, nobody, I'm, not, I'm not the one dictating to the Chicago Teachers Union their political strategy. That said, it's a long time to get over an election. And I'm just wondering why it wasn't possible for Lori Lightfoot to sit down with Stacey Davis Gates or Jesse Sharkey and just figure out, you know, on their own in a, in a, in a choir setting, like how you can deal with these situations so it doesn't come down to lawyers feuding and uh, a teacher strike. I do not understand. They're both members of, De- all of them are Democrats. They may be like Amy Klobuchar Democrats as opposed to Bernie Sanders Democrats, okay? But they're all Democrats, right, Brandon? So I don't get it. Why, yeah. why this inability for t- two groups of Democrats to reach some kind of accord? Yeah, you know what, and Ben, I think, you know, to that question, when this is settled, and we will settle this contract at some point, we're still going to have to do that, right? Because there's the enforcement of this contract. There's a budget that she has to figure out. There are revenue ideas that we have always had in this city. We hope that she takes up some of those revenue ideas so we can begin to expand services and create more opportunities for affordable housing in this city. Otherwise, we're going to lose an entire region, an entire group of people. 
It's not a coincidence that as black folks are being pushed out of Chicago, forced out, we're also seeing the decimation of the black workers. And that's in all sectors, right? And so the hope is that as the educators sit down and figure this thing out, let the politicians step aside, except for me, because I'm going to make <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. You got to make room for a brother, especially because I've been in the classroom. Yeah. Everybody else. Everybody else steps aside. <laughs> but I got this. But no, seriously, let the educators figure this part out. And then when it's time to build like the larger political movement to elect a school board in Chicago that the mayor says she agrees with, mm. let's restore the collective bargaining rights to educators. The mayor says she agreed with that. She should back away from that and allow that process to take place in Springfield. Let's fight for the progressive revenue that, that we're going to need. Even if this passes in Springfield, which we're hopeful, we won't see the benefits of that revenue until 2023. Which revenue are you talking about? The progressive oh, revenue. The fair tax. Fair tax. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's a, okay. It's a little ways away. That's a ways so that's, away. That's yeah. a harsh reality. And so let's, let's think creatively of how we can generate revenue in the city of Chicago in the meantime. And there are progressive ways in which we can do that. That's another topic, another show. But, but to your point, when you have agreement around how to bring equity in the city of Chicago, when you finally have agreement, let's get it done. And the only thing that she needs to do at this point is to make sure that she instructs her team. Let's figure this out. Let's put it in writing. Let's set a new course for Chicago. She gets to be a hero. She does. She gets to earn that right to say that I was the mayor to deliver. She gets to do that. And we're going to help push her along. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Clearly, it shouldn't have to take a work stoppage. It shouldn't. My children had a chance to participate this morning. Of course, they had a lot of questions. My daughter broke her arm a couple of weeks ago, four weeks ago. She didn't know every kid didn't, didn't have a nurse in their building. She didn't know that. That was foreign to her. She didn't know that. And thank God there was a nurse that day. But the nurse that our school is privatized, that's another conversation. But the point that I'm making is that we can, we can set a new course in the city of Chicago. So that every child, if they get hurt, they have an asthma attack, or if they experience trauma, that there are support systems in place. Don't send people back to work without more adults in the mm -hmm. building. Don't do it. Don't do it. And then commit to it, put it in writing like everything else. And let's hold ourselves accountable to it. All right. So the good news uh, is that there was movement today that the 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 uh, negotiators for Lori Lightfoot put something in writing that you could respond to? Is yeah. that, is that, is that around the, class size around class still, size still have a little ways to go in terms of a hard cap, but there's something there that we can work with. And what about uh, the wraparound, what, what they call wraparound employees, the nurses, et cetera, and so forth. Well, let's see what happens after the rally. <laughs> so, uh, so we're taking a little break here. We, you know, we got to get people, uh, moving around the city a little bit just for some exercise and they all happen to have <laughs> on the same colors <laughs> right? we, we call that a march uh, so that's happening right now and then we'll get back to the table this afternoon and move into the evening and hopefully they'll they'll they'll, they'll provide a serious set of proposals a response uh to that issue we're, we're i have to be hopeful i mean that's the nature of my existence and as a middle school teacher you kind of have to be hopeful and optimistic. If you ever taught middle school children, yeah, uh, you gotta you gotta be hopeful. No, I, Brandon John, I always tell you this. Tell you this to Stacey Davis Gates. I recognize myself and Brandon. He's a young feller, uh, but I see a lot of myself. And you're a conciliatory, conciliatory person by nature. So I always said, but put Brandon in the room uh, with Lori Lightfoot. They could get along a little bit. Uh, so maybe that they'll maybe the teachers union will listen to me on this point. Yeah, uh, and uh, because. I do see it 
in so many, we'll, we'll switch out of the, uh, the the teacher strike for a moment, Brandon, and, get, and talk national politics. But I do see it as it just reminds me of the debates that are going on at a national level with the Democratic Party, uh, where you have a progressive force represented, let's say Bernie Sanders uh, is the best known person, and uh, Elizabeth Warren, your candidate, is also there as well. And then you have the more centrist uh, candidates. Uh, I always teasingly say Amy Klobuchar because <laughs> she seems to be the main uh, centrist, on, and Mayor Pete. Uh, Stacy Davis is good. Uh, Davis, Stacy Davis Gates, good friend from uh, South Bend, Indiana. Just kidding there. Uh, and they represent the more centrist view of the Democratic Party. And it just uh, it, it, it seems as though I, I'm never quite sure if the centrists in the Democratic Party really believe the things they say, or they're just saying them because they think that's what you have to say to get elected. Do you follow me? There's I a do. distinction. Whereas I, I believe that Bernie, when he says what he, he's been saying, the same thing, for goodness sake, since 1970s, he really believes it. Yep. And no, yep, so right. what I don't know about Lori Lightfoot, I don't know what Lori Lightfoot believes uh, when she ran. You're right. When she ran, I, I know when she sat across the table from me, when I was interviewing her, she was agreeing with me about Lincoln Yards, for instance, which got a $1.3 billion. Uh, and uh, I know uh, she said we need more nurses. And she talks about her uh, working class roots in Ohio and how her she comes from a family of, of union people. So I, I have to believe I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. I don't know Lori Lightfoot. I so I don't know why people don't govern the way they believe is what I'm throwing. Yeah, no, it's a it's a good question and it's fair. And and Ben, I don't know if I have a straight answer for you, but I will say this to your point though, it's like you have people who run as Frederick Douglass and then they govern as like Jefferson Davis. <laughs> you know, I know that's where your that's social studies really, teacher. Yeah. I know that's quite <laughs> that's a real stretch. Yeah, I, but but I think the point is they they'll run in a particular yeah. sort of abolitionist movement, and then it's like, well, maybe we should slow the process down. Yeah. Maybe not all the slaves to yeah. be set free, right? <laughs> you know, just some of them. You yeah. know, and so, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't appreciate it. I can tell you that much. Like no one wants to be hoodwinked, bamboozled, led astray, lied to. No one wants that. I made promises on the campaign trail. I'm gonna hold to them. And I've been always very, I've been clear about protecting public services, protecting public accommodations, expanding them, mm -hmm. protecting those that actually do the work, protecting, making sure that there's dignity in that work, and then making sure that those who have benefited from this economy pay their fair share in taxes. It's just that simple. And so whether it's Lori Lightfoot, who you know can't quite figure out you know, like what, or who she wants to be, um, especially when it comes to leading this city. That's why you have to have a movement because regardless of who sits in any of the seats, if they're honored and, and, and blessed enough to do that, you still have to hold people accountable to mm -hmm. it. Don't think that my wife of 21 years doesn't still hold me accountable <laughs> to my vows 21 years ago. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, yeah. I think that's one of the most perfect unions that I've ever been a part of. I mean, seriously, I love my wife dearly and I know she didn't like me that much today. I know. And I won't try to get free marital counseling on your, on your show today, but I'm full of it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, we, we make promises and then when we don't live up to the expectations that people mm -hmm. who are in our lives to hold us accountable, when we don't live up to those expectations. It is their right to say, no, that's foul, that's wrong. 
And I know you can do better. Now, whether or not she, Mayor Lightfoot, can do better, we'll find out. Well, the reality is that Mayor uh, Lori Lightfoot was elected with a, a huge man, a 75% of the vote, I want to say, or 70%, I can't remember at the moment. Uh, and the quote-unquote progressive forces in the city lost in that election. And that was, uh, I don't want to redo the, the April 2019 election. There really was no great, in my humble opinion, branding progressive champion running in that race. So it was a little disadvantage. But maybe, you know, that's at the back of her mind uh, that there's no need to uh, join, let's say, uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa or, um, you know, the new uh, Jeanette Taylor at the forefront of, of Bernie Sanders like progressive proposals and ideas because the progressives lost. I mean, you talk about the political considerations that that politicians make, you know, that may be in the back of her mind. So, yeah, you know, again, I don't know what she's thinking. What I can say, though, is we can help people become a little better. We can. It doesn't mean that you're going to change their ideology. People are who they are. They believe what they believe. But there are cases, and we're experiencing that right now. Someone who doesn't want to do something, even though she promised to do it, talking about the mayor, Mm -hmm. that has to be pushed to do it. And I, I don't want to have to do that, right? I mean, just going to be honest with you. It shouldn't take that much, especially given the circumstances that many of us are are enduring. Um, But what I can say though, is as a result of this work that you're seeing significant movement and I'm, I'm, I'm clear quite frankly about the mayor's ideology, her true ideology. I do know that sometimes people experience some level of maturation, but in many cases they hold to their values and they don't want those values disrupted. And what we're simply saying is, if we don't shift right now in this political economy, giving people an opportunity to go to a school that's fully resourced, that the disruption that that's going to cause for a generation um, far um, outweighs whatever slight inconvenience the mayor feels or what we feel as parents, that this is the right thing to do. It's the right time to do it. And we are the right people to lead it. All right, Brandon Johnson, well put. Uh, before we, uh, I let you go, just your thoughts. I know you endorsed the last time on your show. You came out and said you were uh, going to be you're supporting Elizabeth Warren. Your thoughts about uh, the other the debate the other day? Yeah, it's amazing because the last time I was here, I endorsed Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren. She was not the front runner. She clearly is the front runner now. That's the power of Brandon Johnson on the Ben Jarofsky show <laughs> right there. And uh, boy, did, did did she have to swing the other night ago, right? And so, look, I think that this is still going to be a very robust um, presidential primary. I am glad and actually encouraged that Senator Sanders is healthy and uh, looks like he's getting stronger each day. I think he's an important voice um, in the political sphere right now. Um, I thought the debate was um, the only part that was really troubling about the debate, honestly, is this is going to come across a little petty. But Amy. Oh, you don't Amy Klobuchar. Mad. Yeah. Why? Why do you say that? Okay. So this is probably not the problem, the, the, the sharpest thing to say politically over but, the year, but uh, because this is your show, Ben, and this is what we do on your show. Okay. Um, it's, it was fascinating to watch another white woman say, it shouldn't be that white woman. It should be me. Like, it, like, like Amy came across as someone like, envious 
and jealous of the fact that she was not getting enough attention. And the only way she could get attention was, was, was by calling out the perfection of Senator Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not the only one with plans. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got plans too. Yeah. You know, And to me, it's like, look, if there's a difference between you and another person on the stage, then just state the difference. You know, but, but I thought that was. Well, you know, the, what, the, the line that she had, which was clearly uh, drafted before, you know, like, the, uh, I'm, I'm really too old to talk about this, but I, I, years ago I wrote a story about rappers uh, who would have these battles, these epic battles, all right? And you're not supposed to have a pre-written uh, line, okay? It's got to be, this is what little I know, uh, Brandon, and uh, this one guy claims he beat Eminem. What's it called? When Eminem dropped a line that was that he had already had, had pre-written, or I yep. forget what the rap. What about? Uh, yeah. It's called a rap battle? Yeah, it's a rap it's battle, a battle, but but when when a rapper... It wasn't freestyle. I get your yeah, point. It yeah, it drops a line. line yeah. And yeah. Uh, so clearly, Amy Klobuchar had that line. Plan, yeah. There's a difference between plan versus a pipe dream. Yeah. That was her Eminem moment. Yeah. And she dropped the line. I was like, hey, wait, technically that's a violation of free yeah. rent. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, but the, I, I mean, again, this is obviously a topic for a greater discussion at another time when you come back, Brandon, but the notion that Democrats, it just, I just shake my head, my beloved democratic party, a lifelong Democrat I've been, I never see Republicans pull back on what they believe in as insane as what it is that they believe in. They never say that's a pipe dream. We can't achieve it. Or, or Ben, they'll mock when one of us has a belief system that actually calls for something more bold and transformational. You saw Mayor Pete do that repeatedly. Yeah. Of course you saw Senator Kolbachar do that repeatedly. Uh, To me, like it really reduces and minimizes the real anguish and pain that people are experiencing. And that, that's what Elizabeth Warren was trying to, you know, get people to understand in that moment. Like, look, there are real stories of people who have like conditions that cannot be treated or they cannot afford to treat it. And so to, to, to make people believe that we are doing something wrong by making healthcare a guaranteed right is not only like a very petite view of, 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 of like our political aspirations, it's actually irresponsible in this moment because the people of America want it. Yeah, no, and it actually doesn't, it, it's, and it cuts across ideological lines. Yeah, no, that too. Uh, by the way, before we go, I just have to say one last thing. It has nothing to do with any of this. Uh, my condolences to the family of uh, Elijah uh, Cummings. He passed. Uh, we haven't even talked about it. Uh, what a great congressman from Baltimore. Stood up to Trump. Uh, was fearless in standing up to Trump. And... Um, just shook shook me when i saw that uh so anyway my condolences i don't know him obviously but uh i really like the stance listen i love the stance nancy pelosi's i have taken a lot of heat from my brothers and sisters on the left because i love how nancy pelosi has stood up to trump particularly yesterday she stood up to him again and elijah cummings was a key part of that congressional opposition uh to a very frightening and scary president who yep. I think is losing his mind. May he rest in peace. Um, and he certainly initiated this resistance that we're talking about calling for an impeachment and took political heat for it. Yes, he did. So uh, a great man, Elijah Cummings, my condolences family, uh, Brandon Johnson, uh, take my advice, Chicago Teachers Union. That's your guy. When this is settled, have him, uh, you know, be like the go between uh, with uh, Lori. Lightfoot. We didn't get to talk baseball. 
Washington yeah. Nationals. There yeah, you go. yeah, I'm with the Nationals. Yeah, I'm up with the Nationals because they beat the Cardinals. I was ecstatic. Hey, doesn't take much. Yeah, <laughs> he's a Cardinal fan. He's with a San Diego Padres hat on. I know. Hey, hey, I got to make friends around he's here. All right. Confused. Okay, does it match his shoes or something? Like, why does he have yeah. that hat on? Uh, it's the most low key team that you can wear and still get along with everybody. <laughs> yeah, most right? people don't know what it means. I walk around with the Cardinals hat. People are like, who's this douchebag? <laughs> so I wear a say that people got a problem with Tony Gwynn. I love Tony Quinn. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, really fast. Uh, I, I think the Cubs are foolish to fire Joe Madden. Do you agree or disagree with me? I agree with you. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Oh, thank you, John. Congratulations. He's with the Angels now. Yeah, he's with the Angels. He's what a stupid team. move by the Cubs. Uh, I just thought of all the things that were wrong with the Cubs this year, it was not their manager. You agree with me on that one? All right. He's a Cub fan, by the way. People don't know huge, that. Huge, uh, huge Cub fan. All right. Brandon Johnson, thank you so much. I also want to thank the other Johnson, Jeff Johnson. Uh, he did an outstanding job, as he always does. Mile Camp Lassen from In These Times was here earlier today. We had a busy day today. It's not over yet. We have a bunch of bonus episodes we're going to tape. So get ready, Dr. D. All right. Oh, you get ready. Our guests are here. Oh, they're here already? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, that is Dennis from Downstate Alton, down home, Downstate Alton. They call him White Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download podcasts. Tomorrow on the program, we're going to find out who's going to win our caption contest. It's an Alderman Ed Burke caption contest. The picture's posted on our Facebook show, our Facebook page. It's one of Donald Trump talking to Ed Burke. Anybody can caption that. Send us your captions. We'll read them on the program tomorrow, and we'll find out who the winner is at Benny J Show. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. We will see you all tomorrow. Yay for our teachers! Yay for our teachers! You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.